Is this thing on? Are you ready, Matt? You're listening to Box Office Avengers with Matt Diaz and Ernesto Santos. Good evening, folks. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Hello and welcome to another episode of Box Office Bingers. Ernesto, this show is so jammed packed. Let me tell you, we got so much news from here to Timbuktu. We have news up the wazoo. I mean, it's and then we also got what you're watching and and this week's spoiler review of the week. Oh, my God. I, I We have so much to discuss this week. Ernesto, tell the lovely people what we're reviewing this week. Um, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, starring Tom Hardy, Woody Harrelson, Naomi Francis, Michelle Williams, and Stephen Graham, directed by the one and only Andy Serkis mm-hmm. himself, uh, written by Kelly Marcel and uh, Tom Hardy, who also had a hand in writing the script. Yeah, which is interesting that he had. Like, honestly, I don't know, Venom has an interesting history, and I... I'll reserve my thoughts on the... I mean, we briefly <laughs> talked about the first one uh, in prior episodes, but I rewatched the first one in preparation of this one as well. And, uh, yeah, I'm really curious to hear about your thoughts, especially since you said that you are a big Carnage fan. I'm, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on Woody Harrelson's portrayal on uh, Cletus Cassidy, as well as what they put Carnage on screen. Yeah, I wouldn't even say... Like I, I think Carnage is great, but I think I'm, I think out of all the MCU, the thing that fascinates me the most is just the whole idea of the symbiotes. Like anything mm-hmm. at like Spider-Man back in black, you know, when he's wearing the black suit, um, the Spider-Man '90s comics when he when he gets when he also takes over. I mean, I didn't really like Spider-Man three, but I like the I like the black suit Venom stuff that they tried to yeah. do. You know, that was okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm really uh, I'm really interested to have that conversation. Yeah, so we're gonna have that a little bit later in the show. But like we said, we're gonna start we're gonna start right into it. We got a lot of news to talk about this week. I feel like last week it just it's kind of how these things work, Ernesto. It's just like last week nothing. We got a little bit of news, barely anything, and then this week was like, no, we're saving it for now. They've got a lot of news to talk about now. I know. I just I wish this first one wasn't news. I know. I wish this I wasn't know. something that we had to talk about. I know, but this is a little bit of a of a somber note. We're starting out somber for a little bit. Um, there's a little bit of a shakeup in Hollywood this week, and, and kind of ongoing. It's been ongoing for a while, obviously, or else this wouldn't be happening. Um, but the last time we talked about like a shakeup in Hollywood is when Scarlett Johansson was kind of either suing Disney for for not being compensated for her work or, or well, what could have been if the movie was released, if Black Widow was released in theaters. That news has been. Um, it looks like they had settled a deal on that. Yeah. Like behind closed doors. So everyone's happy now. So that is moving forward. Money. They probably gave her a shit ton <laughs> of money. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, hey, I'm not going to do your movies anymore. It's like, well, here's a here's a wad of cash. And uh, all right. All right. As <laughs> like, so can you be in the new Tower of Terror movie? I guess I'll do that. It's fine. Yeah, same meeting. <laughs> S- S- same meeting. Yes. <laughs> different, different agenda item. <laughs> 
So, so yeah, that was like the last big thing that was getting a, a lot of headlines. Now, unfortunately, it's this. And it's for good reason, too, of why these are getting the headlines. So 60,000 production union workers are getting ready to go on a nationwide strike against pretty much all of the major studios. Uh, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees says its union members are set to go on strike this Monday the 18th. So at the time of this recording, that's about three days from now. Um, the union is bargaining with producers for better working hours, safer working conditions, and improved benefits. Uh, they are seeking a 10-hour turnaround between shifts and a 54-hour turnaround on weekdays for all workers. Uh, there's also a push for increased meal penalties to force productions to stop for lunch. If these union, if, if the union does not, I'm sorry, if the union does go on strike, most productions in Hollywood would come to a grinding halt. Yeah, I can only imagine that the coronavirus, the pandemic has um, made the situation worse. Because a oh lot of these God. productions had to stop. And then so they have a backlog of what they had before, not including what they already have on the docket to be released mm -hmm. in in the future. Like they're like they're trying to play catch up as opposed to just starting back from where they were before. And then everything moving forward in the world just gets, you know, just gets pushed back a little bit, pushed back a little bit more. Um, but I mean, I can only imagine what these poor what these poor guys go through. I did, and I have, I have one experience. I worked on a commercial for uh, a soft drink. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, some of the days were were pretty hard. Like it was like 16 to 18 hour days. Like not like it'd be like two in the morning. I remember it, the f the day of the shoot, we worked from three in the morning until one in the morning the next day. Oh wow! And like. There was like we got one we got one break. I'm sorry, we got two breaks. We got a like a thirty in in the afternoon in the early afternoon and like a thirty later on and then that was it. The rest of it was like back to work. <laughs> wow. So I mean and that and that's a small and that show that was just for a commercial. I I can yeah. I'm sure for these motion these major motion pictures that it's like way beyond that. It's crazier than that. And you know, Ernesto, we talk about all these movies that are coming soon, and all of these TV shows are coming soon. Um, all of these, uh, the the delays that's been happening because of the coronavirus, and like you said, like these are causing a strain on the union workers who are actually making all of these things happen, and especially with the big push for streaming nowadays, like. You look at all these different streaming services, and, and I'm going to point to Netflix in particular. I'm not sure if they're a part of this or not, um, but with Netflix, for example, they pump out stuff. When you go to their streaming service and you look to see what's new to watch, they have something big almost every week. People make that happen. Like There's so much content to be, to be made that people – I, I feel like that there is now – like we're not even thinking about it. I guess there is there would be a strain in employers maybe go, hopping from one production to the next to make sure these things are done in a timely manner and for these to be put out and then move on to the next one and yeah if you're being overworked that 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 uh the what's it, what's it called the the job itself is going to be lacking and you're going to be losing employees and then these things are not going to happen and like what they're asking for is not 
unreasonable. They're no. asking for a 10-hour turnaround. If you think about it, if we work eight hours a day, then we have technically the other 20, uh, what, the uh, the other 16 hours to ourselves for sleeping, relaxing, and doing what we want to do. So the fact that they're they're asking for 10 hours is not unreasonable considering that most people, if you work in a 9-to-5 job, get about 16 hours to themselves of a turnaround time. Yeah. And and these people are just saying, hey, we just want 10. That means that they're getting less than that. They're getting less than a 10-hour turnaround time, and that's not easy. When I was working on a production, it was 12 on and 12 off. Uh, Ernesto, working at the new station, when big things happened, we do that ourselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like, I feel like that is like a a production standard Like you work 12 hours, you're off 12 hours. I feel like that's somewhat reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that they're asking for 10, that means they're getting less than that. And they're also asking for weekends, which is the 54 hour, uh, time frame, especially if you're working those long hours. Um, it's just sad to see that it's come to, at this point, it's come to a, like, we're, we're getting ready to strike. Meaning that after all of these announcements that we've been saying of things getting delayed, and like you said, probably because the of, you know, mainly it's because of the pandemic that all these properties and all these movies and TV shows are getting delayed from the original release date. But now, if this does happen and, you know, production does go on strike, then we're going to see more properties get delayed for a completely different reason, but probably because of the effect of the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I really hope that they that they get everything that they're asking for because it's it's kind of hard to think that they're not mm-hmm. getting living wages when you have actors who are making million mil, you know the, like the head actors directors like the head honchos like yeah they put in a lot of creative work more so i mean i, I guess that's all debatable but either way the production where i've i mean they should be getting paid more more than what they're getting paid oh absolutely and can the, you imagine that, that's like bare minimum with with actors and directors and whoever making millions and millions of dollars per per project you know mm-hmm. and you can only imagine if these people are not only working these long hours but are also getting underpaid it doesn't say that they they were asking for more money i think they're just asking for better working conditions like you know improved benefits and safer working you know that's safer working conditions um like if they're working if they're working that long hours like that affects them driving home that affects their sleep I'm sure there's some people that maybe just sleep in their car because it's easier to you get more sleep that way and you just sleep on site, you know, um, and that's not that's not enjoyable working conditions. Um, so it's it's sad to see that this is happening. I really hope that they can come to an agreement for I mean, honestly, for all these productions sake, there's a lot of great creative work and a lot of fans are waiting to see the next big thing that they want to see. And the fact that the major studios are willing for these employees to go on strike for asking what what seems reasonable um, I, I would be very surprised that come Monday, like the strike is is happening and oh, all I'm these sure. productions are going uh, to halt. And I did look it up. There's a there's a bunch of different uh, sources. They they are also looking for better wages. They are looking Me- for better meal wages breaks, sleep better sleep time and better wages. Yeah, and so it, it's just sad, especially this is an industry that we know we we. Not, not this. These, these are this very different from what we do. But also, you know, we can, uh, we can sympathize for, yeah. for them, for you know, for working in the field that that we love, and and feeling that they're underappreciated. Because then these also, like the, these guys are like the cream of the crop. Of absolutely. <laughs> and then like, and then it's sad to see that because that can easily affect the work. 
Like, can you imagine you're watching your favorite show and you're seeing this in the background and knowing that if they were treated appropriately, that the, the work that you're watching could be better if they were actually given sleep? Yeah, that's, that's crazy to think about. Like, think about everything that they put out now. Like, and they're mm-hmm. doing that under those conditions. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, some people say that, you know, you work hard, it comes out with great improvement. And that's not, not saying that that doesn't happen. You work hard, good things happen, and good things can come out of it. But at the same time, like, treat your employees right. That's exactly. that's also what we're saying as well. Uh, so hopefully it doesn't come to a strike. But if things get worse, and a lot of your favorite TV shows and movies that are currently in production could be coming to a halt, leading to more things being delayed. And I hope that's not the case because we're looking forward to a lot of things. And and hopefully this is, I mean, 60,000 production union workers that's not that's not a small small amount yeah. there, Ernesto. That's I mean, a lot this of is people. this is very similar to the writer strike. That's right. They had what was it? Was it two thousand seven? Something? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was early two thousands. It was yeah. early 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 two thousands. Oh yeah, two thousand seven to two thousand eight writer guild strike. Writer guild, writers guild of America strike, November fifth mm-hmm. to the February twelfth. Yeah, so I yeah, that lasted that. about three months. Yeah, yeah, and that affected a lot of production. A lot of people were doing freelance work and things they wouldn't be doing, or some people were going against the strike because they need money. It's like it's it's a, it's a lose lose all over the place. Like, I just remember that it affect. Only reason I knew that, like, being young, is that I was like, man, why does this season of Smallville so much <laughs> smaller than the other ones? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, that was the year of the writer strike. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we don't want that because that, that that affects the things that we love. And so, so what we're saying, pay them better, better working conditions. All of this is 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 like, like they this is reasonable. This should not, this should not even have gotten to this point. But here we are. So here hopefully they can resolve on this one. It'll be uh, interesting. So kind of just on the note of like how the Writers Guild strike affected a bunch of different shows during that time period. Like I just briefly look like heroes and Smallville and stuff like that. If it does happen and you know, justifiably so it'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see what properties it's going to affect on the back. Oh yeah. And like, what, what is that going to do to these, that some certain content? Um, like just looking like heroes, heroes that happened during the writer strike. That was a really good show in the beginning, but mm-hmm. it failed in the end. I wonder if that was a, you know, a sub effect of the writers of the writer strike. Right. So yeah. hopefully, you know, I mean, it would suck to see some shows go, but if it's got to happen, it's got to happen. Right. I mean, this could affect. This could, you know, force cancellation on a lot of different shows that are currently ongoing. I feel like in some cases that like the streamers might not be affected as much. It's just the current production that are working on. They're going to be delayed on their schedule. But excuse me, what's really going to be affected is the one the shows that are week to week. The ones that are on cable network, the ones that are yeah. actively filming like a couple of episodes at a time, like yep. those are the ones that are going to hit the hardest. So like for for the comic book fans out there, that that's that's the CW stuff. For for anybody who watches, you know, the the sitcoms on ABC or the uh, Law and Orders and uh, the Chicago stuff on NBC, like that's affecting all of that stuff mainly. Um, whereas for Netflix and some of the streamers, that could just be delaying what we would have normally gotten earlier. Um, so yeah. So I said, I don't want to see this happen. I hopefully they can come up with the reasonable, and then out, and then with, with the result of that, these employees are actually treated better. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. 
Get it together, Hollywood. That's what, not, that's what we're saying. Not that any of them are listening. but No, they're not. But know. if they are, <laughs> you never know. You never know from Hollywood. He's like, you know what? I listened to an episode of Box Office Bingers, and they're right. We gotta we gotta pay these play- we gotta pay them and then that like it'll be that sound sound bites like exactly. us talking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was because of these guys. Yeah. <laughs> they had a really good point. <laughs> who, who us? No, no. I mean, oh yeah, no. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh, it was okay. us. Right. You're right. It was us. Yeah, we did say that. We did say that. You know, pay your workers wrong. better. <laughs> <laughs> also, here's our business card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so moving on from that, some a little bit of exciting news if you're a Guardians of the Galaxy fan. Um, director James Gunn took the social media to officially announce that actor Will Poulter, uh, you might have seen his work in We're the Millers, he was a teenage kid, and uh, the Maze Runner, who kind of played like the bully in that, in that series, um, has been cast to play Adam Warlock in the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 film. The character was first teased in the MCU on a mid credit scene of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but was introduced in Marvel Comics in the late 1960s. Uh, he was created in a specialized cocoon to become the perfect human, human and rivals as one of the most powerful Marvel characters ever created. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is scheduled to hit theaters May 5th, 2023. What do you think of this news, Ernesto? Oh, this is really exciting. Well, I mean, just that I just re- I remember specifically that cutscene because everybody in the theater was freaking out at the mm-hmm. sight of Adam Warlock. Um, I'm looking forward to it because I really like I think the characters like really interesting because he's Adam Warlock is like super powerful. He's like a very yeah. he's like a very powerful cosmic being. Um, but also the actor is, I think he's great. I think he was funny and we're the Millers and he was, he actually did that, that his role in Maze Runner. I thought he played that. He was one of the more likable characters. Like he played to his character very well. Yeah. He was Um, also in a Black Mirror Bandersnatch. It was like a, yes, he was. And he was super creepy in that. Yes, he was. But, but it worked. Like he was able to adapt. He adapts very well to the role. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited to see what he's going to bring to this. Yeah, same here. And also, like, I know a lot of people were kind of like a little bit of up in arms because, from my understanding, he has a huge tie to the Infinity Stones. He, and, yeah, he was he was created from the Soul Gem. Okay, he was. All right. So a lot of people were like they were going to see him in Endgame or Infinity War. And then when we did, got none of that, people were like, well, what the hell, man? What What's his story going to be? So I feel like a lot of people are going to be like, when you see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, they're like, what's going to happen here? You know, because yeah. uh, he's he's like the only one who's been able to bond with the soul stone and not be changed by it at all. Like, oh, interesting. Just, yeah. Like he it, it perfectly matches with him. Yeah. And, and he's it sounds the most like... powerful of all his hosts who have ever wielded the soul. Stone. The soul stone. That's interesting. I did not know that. Um, it does seem like that he's going to be like maybe the villain in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. But isn't he is he a hero? Is he an antihero? Um, I'm not really that that part. I'm not really sure. I just know him like briefly, but I think from what I understand, I think he's he's good. I'm, he's I'm good, assuming. yeah. Or maybe like he starts bad, or he's like you know misguided. Right. Yeah, and then then he then he turns good. Yeah, I can see that happening as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I also really like the actor. So I think that when I heard this news, it's kind of like, okay, you know, I, I'm, I'm for this. And also, I'm sure a lot of fans, fans are happy that 
Adam Warlock is now officially confirmed to be in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It was kind of teased that, you know, back in the second film that he was going to be there, but now it's just nice to hear that it's official, they have an actor, and they're moving forward with that idea. So it looks, after briefly looking it up, Adam Warlock is often portrayed as an anti-hero. Anti-hero, okay. So he's both as a protagonist and minor times a villain. Okay, so maybe the minor time will be in Volume 3. That's true. Yeah, and then the rest of it moving forward. He can have big implications, especially as what we know. We know that a secret invasion is happening, and that is a cosmic thing. We know Miss Marvel's, the Captain Marvel 2, essentially, is happening. Um, That's coming soon. And all of this stuff is happening maybe before Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So uh, it would be interesting to see how he plays in the bigger MCU. Also, we're getting the Eternals next month. And that's all about cosmic beings. So, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's our first glimpse that we get into the celestials. You know, mm-hmm. the beings who. I mean, that's a that's a conversation for, <laughs> for that. But I mean, that's a big that's a big part of that. Celestials are they are a big part of the MCU. Like they yeah. cre- they're like the creators. They are the big bang of the MCU. Mm-hmm. They create yeah, exactly. everything. So the fact that we're getting these stories, obviously we see Marvel, I feel like we're seeing Marvel go in two directions here. We're going to be seeing Phase 4 go more cosmic and having a big brand there. And then also, where I think we're going to be diving a lot with the multiverse as well. And, and we see that with Loki, we're going to see that with Spider-Man. So a lot of exciting things. Like Marvel, I feel like they're taking some big moves here. And so hopefully a lot of audience can get behind it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to this movie, as as all Marvel movies. Um, speaking, staying on the train with Marvel, this one's interesting. I'm not sure how I feel about this. A WandaVision spinoff series starring Katherine Hahn herself is reportedly in development uh, at Disney Plus from Marvel Studios. Hahn will reprise her role as Agatha Harkness in the series, which is which the series is described as a dark comedy, though no exact plot details um, have been announced. WandaVision head writer uh, Jack Schaefer. Schaefer, is that what it is? Sure. Jack Schaefer, um, who was also a writer on Black Widow, uh, would serve as a writer and executive producer on this project. Um, should the spinoff move forward, this will be the first project What's the name again? Schaefer. Schaefer um, has set up um, with Marvel since she signed an overall three-year deal with them. So after her work with um, Black Widow, she signed a three-year deal with them to, to write more um, with Marvel. And so it looks like that if this show were to go off, this would be one of those uh, things that she's doing. How do you feel about her getting her own show? It honestly depends on what part of her story they're going to tell. Because without really giving WandaVision away, if we haven't seen it, um, they don't. She's not really like she's still there, but she's not in a place to move forward. Unless that's right. what the show, unless that's what the show is about, is how she can move forward from that character, from from what happens in that. And, but, or unless it's a prequel and it's more of like a coming of age, or not, or like. Maybe like well no that wouldn't because they go they talk about that in Wandavision so I I don't know they they do dive into her origin in Wandavision I would like to think that that would be more of the appropriate option is to do a prequel since you have so much to grow on it 
But like, what is the is? Are we just gonna pick up where we left off at the end of Wandavision? Does that really need its own? Not not even like a Disney Plus movie. It's 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 a series as a dark comedy. Do we need like eight episodes of that? But I guess, but it's gonna be one of those things where it's maybe not tied into the overall storytelling of like the massive of what's going on in like big big storyline stuff but it's it might just be a small like pocket story it's just like adjacent like it like it's not nothing or i mean i could be wrong every other show has been tied to the story like Mm -hmm. like loki even um other shows we'll talk about in our uh what you're watching (laughs) what you want i knew you were that (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah well i don't know Maybe. See, I I don't I feel like maybe a series of shorts would work for this if you really want to tell continue to tell her story. But like this definitely feels like they're just coasting off of the popularity of the Agatha Harkness character. This was not part of the big plan, and they might be shoehorning this in. Now I could be absolutely wrong because this could be amazing. But as of right now, from where I'm sitting, this doesn't feel like we need this right now. Like. We can see her character grow in other people's shows. It doesn't need to be done with her own show. Unless they're trying to make her like an anti-hero. Right. Which, like she started bad and now she's good. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, like honestly, the next appropriate place we would, we would see her is Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness because that's where we're, the next time we're going to see the Scarlet Witch. So Unless something happens in there and or unless something happens in the universe that will cause a that warrants a show for Agatha Harkness. You, and you're absolutely right. That could like easily either be in a, a Doctor plot point there. either in Doctor Strange, Spider-Man or, you mm-hmm. know, any anything else that comes forward. Like yeah. something that hap- something that happens with the multiverse could be could let her, I don't know, maybe she gets thrown into another universe where she regains her where she, you know, stuff happens almost slip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but I mean, yeah, it's it's because they're describing it as a dark comedy, and that's maybe that's kind of what WandaVision was. It feels like we're going down that avenue. Like, I guess I would need more information, and I would need to see a trailer to see what your ideas are. But as of right now, this doesn't seem like the move. Like, I don't get excited when I hear that. I was like, I, I'd much rather see you put other Marvel characters in the forefront to get their own show. Um, and then we'll, we'll we'll get back with Agatha a little bit later in this series but also Catherine Hahn she's having one hell of a, a month right <laughs> oh yeah I mean the, between that and the Joan Rivers and Knives Out 2 Knives Out 2 like yeah she's doing, she, she's she's doing great right now absolutely so I'm, I'm glad she's getting more work and I'm glad she's becoming more she's popular she's, she's I mean great. she is she's, she's hilarious so like like her her coming back for more is not the problem I just don't think we, we need a whole series out of it but you know we'll see I guess um, could be wrong. Could be wrong. Absolutely. Uh, moving on from that, we're going to go move over to some spooky stuff. Um, Mike, <clears throat> excuse me, Mike Flanagan, the creator of the Haunting of Hill House, Bly Manor, and the new release Midnight Mass, has a new horror series in the works for Netflix as part of his ongoing anthology series. As you know, like I feel like once a year we'll get the new works from Mike Flanagan, and you know he tells a new story within a series. Um, and this one is no different. He has 
um, a new show that will be an eight-part limited series, and it will be based on the multiple works of uh, from Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher. Although no plot, plot details have been announced, the series of short stories were first published in 1839, and it features themes of madness, family, isolation, and identity, which seems right up his wheelhouse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, while this show isn't expected to debut until 2023, Flanagan's next project, called The Midnight Club, premieres on Netflix in 2022. So we, we're going to see a whole new show before we see um, the show that he's adapting from Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, what, I'm, I'm here for it. You know, I, you know, ever since Haunting of Hill House, I just have a deep appreciation for Mike Flanagan. And mm-hmm. then I realized that I liked him even before I knew that I liked him. He directed a movie called Hush mm-hmm. that talks about this, this deaf girl who's being haunted by the serial killer. And it is absolutely terrifying. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, it's I've, on. It's actually on Netflix. It's called Hush. Hush. I, it stars um, the woman that we've seen in. Kate Siegel. I think Kate she's Siegel. In, yeah. She's in. Uh, she's in Midnight Mass. Yeah. yeah, she is, and she's also been in every one of his as um, Hill House and Bly Manor, I believe, um, which makes a lot of sense because that's his wife, Kate Siegel. Mm-hmm. I actually did not know that. Yeah, that's that's his wife. So it's appropriately so that he has been <laughs> that she is attached to all of his projects. Um, well, there you go. She does. I mean, she does well. She she, she she she's not. Yeah, she does. She does a really good job. Um, I really liked her in in um in Hill House though. I think so far that's been my favorite role she's done thus far. Um, but it's hard to beat Hill House. Hill House it was an amazing show. Yeah. Um, so but yeah. so we could so we should just expect her to be attached to all these properties moving. Absolutely. Forward. Yeah, and uh, as I look it up here, I want to give you guys the the plot. I forgot to write it in here. The uh, the plot for the Midnight Club, which has no affiliation to the Midnight Mass, which I can understand the confusion there. Um, but this is interesting. It says the Midnight Club follows a group of five terminally ill patients at Rottingham Home, a Rotterdam Home, who be, who begin to gather together at midnight to share scary stories. And looking, um, it has some of the same characters from Midnight Mass. I do see that, yeah. I uh, do recognize them. So I, it seems, you know, what's really great is that he seems like he's picked a really good group of actors to act in his mm-hmm. properties, and it, they're working out. It's working out to to do well because they, it, his his work is great. Like, oh my like, god, yeah. And you didn't it, even really like Doctor Sleep, but I love Doctor Sleep. You see, I, I thought it was okay. I, I Doctor Sleep was okay. He did he did another movie called Before I Wake, which was pretty good. I did like that one. Um, I don't think but, I've seen that one. It's yeah, Netflix. it was. It, I think it's on Netflix. Yeah, yeah it, it became is. a Netflix original. Um, but yeah, that one's not bad. It's all about dreams and like basically this guy. Like every time this this kid goes to sleep, his dreams are nightmares, and those nightmares are coming to life. Oh, and it has Jacob Tremblay. That's a mm-hmm. kid. I like yeah, that kid. he. That's a good kid. Well, he's not a kid anymore. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> but he's a good actor. He's, he's a good actor. He's, he's a good he's actor. He's acted since he was a kid. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so like, I mean, I get like you said, I you kind of introduced me to Mike Flanagan, and I haven't looked back since. Like you were telling me to go watch Hill House, and you know, truth be, you know, that was an amazing show. And then we watched Bly Manor last year, and now he's having great success with Midnight Mass, which we'll talk about 
later. Yeah. Not done, not done with it just yet. We're almost there. Um, <laughs> we'll wait until next week. We'll wait until next, week, next week, on... week to talk about it. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I think it's kind of cool that I think for out of all of these, he's been successfully adapting other people's properties, and now he's going to go dive into Edgar Allan Poe's work. That's and so, be like, fucking awesome. I know, right? So it, it sounds really amazing when I heard that. I was like, oh, I see you, Mike Flanagan. You keep doing you. You Do keep you making those, make make those Netflix shit. shit. <laughs> keep making that scary shit for Netflix. You keep you keep making me turn down the value where I know shit's about to go down. You keep doing that. But it's you, like – but it, I think he's he's bringing like a freshness to the to like the horror thriller genre that it needed. Mm-hmm. Like we don't – like Absolutely. you can appreciate a good slasher film, but it, he brings a different kind of scare. It's like it's more than just jump scares. Like there's mm-hmm. something – like he scares you with the way that he tells the story. I think that's yes. what really Yes. Oh, my God. Me. Yeah. And even like, you know, the – all of his works is like most of – the like most of the the show is just people talking. Yeah, it's just going back and forth. Like the story's progressing, and like every now and then you get like either a jump scare or like a scary image, but it's not meant to scare you. It's 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 for the story. Like it's it's haunting your it's haunting the character, not not trying to scare us. It's so subtle. Like a lot of the yes. a lot of the scares they put in you are are so subtle that. They scare you on the first time around, and I think we, if you were to go back, we, if if you were to go back and rewatch it, you would appreciate it because now you're not focused on like the story because you more or less you more or less remember what happened. You're focused right. on well, what did they put in the background? Because they do some fucking amazing cinematography. Like, oh yeah, my every god! Every single he one does. of his properties, yeah. like the cinematography is always on point. Oh my God, yeah, and even and there's, I mean, we've talked about immensely of that one shot in Hill House that yeah, is that was like legendary. fucking thirteen minutes long. <laughs> yeah. That they they literally had to build a physical set just with the with time transition to to show time. I think it was like a there was like a difference in time, but in order to yeah. do the one shot, they had to construct the set. That was mm-hmm. oh my god, it's crazy. That was only meant for that one that one long shot, and the fact that, like you said, not only does he have a group of actors who are backing with him to continue to moving on from one project to the next, but he's also have a pretty solid production team that is willing to follow him in these journeys, and he's the one that's creating these shows and like a lot. There's a lot of like love. It feels like a lot of passion goes into these the projects that he does. So when you sit down and watch it, you're kind of just consumed. Yeah. It's not meant. It's not scaring you. It's just like like it's haunting it's it's it could be a little bit disturbing it could it could be disturbing you could not agree with a lot of things that are happening on the screen but you're hooked you can't he, help but to continue watching what I, what also and just this is kind of a brief this is like a, a brief overview of his work i feel like everything that he's created so far like you could easily watch it and be like oh my god they're gonna do a season two but he doesn't like he right. end he'll end the story within the universe, but still leave you wondering like what he leaves it at a point where you're still wondering that there could like if he wanted to he could easily make another season, but you almost feel like he won't like he builds these universes and then he just kind of moves on, unless yeah, and- unless he's building some kind of crazy spooky shared universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you make a good point because like it does leave you wanting more, but he's like you chew on that, I'm going to work on the next thing, and then you can chew on that while and then you can like there's, there's a lot of also repeatability to these shows. Uh-huh. 
because like like you said, especially for Hill House, you can go back and rewatch shit, and you didn't even know that that was back there, or like something yeah. just haunting or creeping you in the background, or uh, like someone just kind of just like there. Um, and it's more so with Hill House, less so with the other two, but like there is a lot to chew on. Um, specifically how these are written. It's just there's a lot to go on, and like it does require your full divided attention because if if you if you like or just like look away for a little bit, you might miss a pivotal point or like a little a little sentence that can go a long way in these shows um but yeah so like the fact that he's doing this already and now he's going to take the works of edgar Allan pope who was already like a gothic writer in his day back in the 1800s the fact that he's going to be doing that and translating over to modern day i'm here for it i feel like this is something like he was like working his way up to because i mean he Edgar Allan Poe is such a pivotal figure, even in our society. Not like, you know, like his work is very um, known across yes. the world. Like every, mm-hmm. like m- most people, if you even they know, even if they don't know any of his work, they know the name and they know to associate him with that kind of like that like Material, dark, yeah. that dark poetry. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm really. I feel like this is going to be great. I mean, he has a lot of source material to work off of. Oh, oh, absolutely. And I think that's part of it. And also the fact that he's taking multiple stories. Like, if you're a fan of it, it almost makes me want to go read some of his work and then see if, like, he decided to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and making it into a story. Ooh, I don't um, know, Matt. I think you're setting up a future episode. That sounds like yeah. a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for him. Um, but that's two years away, and we're getting the Midnight Club in the mix. And every October, that's kind of what I look forward to. It's like, oh sure. man, October's coming. I can't wait to see Mike Flanagan's new, uh, new show, because I mean, it because it stirs up a lot of like excitement. Because it's not like you're getting um, a new season of this, which is also exciting in its own right. But you're getting a brand new story that you don't know what you're gonna get yourself into. And it's basically like one long ass movie. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> what it is. <laughs> uh, so congratulations for him. From one legendary artist to another. We're going to be talking about Christopher Nolan and his upcoming film, now titled Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, Matthew. Damn it, I was so close. <laughs> well, Oppenheimer. Robert Oppenheimer. <laughs> J. Uh, Robert Oppenheimer. <laughs> um, uh, yes, now titled Oppenheimer. Nailed it. That second it. or third time. Got it. Um, has set a release date of July 21st, 2023 with Universal Pictures. We had briefly talked about last, you know, a couple weeks ago that he had moved away from Warner Brothers um, because of how he, they handled the HBO Max and all that stuff. And so now he is um, moving on to a different studio with his new project, and that being Universal Pictures. Um, Nolan will write and direct the film based on the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, the man who created, uh, the man who is credited to, with developing the atomic bomb during the World War II era Manhattan Project, and and also also based from a 2006 Pulitzer Prize winning biography. Um, this and th- this right here is what also, so that was all old news, but kind of rehashing a little bit. But this is, well, the release date's new. Some of the information's old, but this part's also new. Uh, uh, Killian Murphy will play Oppenheimer with composer Ludwig Garrison, the composer mm-hmm. of Black Panther, writing the music. He was uh, Ludwig Garrison was also the um, composer for uh, Tenant. So it looks like that um, 
uh, Nolan has moved from uh, Hans Zimmer, who is who's been attached to many of his projects, and because Hans Zimmer wasn't available to do Tenet, he reached out to Ludwig Garrison, and now I guess he left an impression because now he's doing his next film, which is Oppenheimer. Um, and the film will entirely will be shot entirely with IMAX cameras, no surprise there, and is described as an epic thriller that thrusts audience into a pulse pounding paradox. Interesting. A pulse not, that's, pounding paradox. That's not what I would have expected from a biography. <laughs> Unless it's going to be more than that. Unless it tells a story, but then, you know, puts a little spin on it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of jokes were running around. You showed me a meme of, uh, like... Like, is he going to really use a real atomic bomb to shoot this movie? <laughs> like, what is he going to blow up? <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, um... It's like the, direct, the, the director who famously never uses CGI. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> like, um, what, what's your ideas here, sir? Excuse me, um, what's going on here? So I'm um, going to buy a small island. <laughs> we're going to dress it up. We're going we're gonna to build these buildings, and then I'm going to blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how that's going to happen, okay, guys? Yeah. Okay. Um, but also with news that kind of came out and we were kind of joking about this as well, but Nolan had so many conditions to make like that. He was pitching to other studios. Like you want my movie? Here are my conditions. And it's downright ridiculous, but he, he got what he wanted because universe was like, yeah, no, we'll do all that. It's like, it's like before he, it's like, it's like everything that he was so mad about Warner brothers. He's like, fuck that. Anytime I go there. Anytime I go anywhere, this is what I want. I fucking made Batman. Give me what I want. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And so, like, you can't blame the man for wanting to do things a certain way because he's made he, he's made a name for himself, nonetheless. Uh, so this is what he knows. This is what he wants. These were his demands when he was pitching his new movie to other studios, which again, Universal did um, oblige to. Uh, the budget must be a hundred million dollars. Nothing, nothing less than that. Um, he wants twenty percent of the first weekend's growth of that movie. Gross, I'm sorry. Um, he wants 100% creative control, which is completely understandable. Yeah. Um, he wants another $100 million in marketing. So now he wants $100 million to to make the film and $100 million to promote the film. He also wants, and this is the crazy part of my, the next two are pretty crazy. He wants Universal Studios um, to not release any film three weeks before his and three weeks after his film. Yeah, that's crazy. It's that's like, a little nuts. We'll, we'll, we could give you your own weekend, but come on. But you want <laughs> seven weeks of... <laughs> and it's not even that. It's like three weeks before your film. It's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, what, what, what? Because all that $100 million is sent to marketing? is like, it's not to say that other people are like waiting for like, oh my God, this is Universal's next big movie. Like, no, people are talking about Nolan's next big movie. They don't exactly. give a shit. They don't give a shit if they release a movie every week. They like, find out when very... they go in the theater. They're like, oh, made by Universal. Cool. <laughs> yeah, What's the movie exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you don't go in there. Like, honestly, the only studios that kind of really have that power is Disney and Marvel. Disney. Like, yeah, they, that's it. Di- yeah. They go in there like, oh, this is a movie from Disney or, oh, this is a movie from Marvel. But Universal makes so many movies. They're like, oh, oh, I know Universal made this movie. Okay, moving on. 
Yeah, um, it was a good movie. Oh, Universal made that. <laughs> that's nice. Good for them. Good for them. <laughs> um, it's like, you know, the, the kind of like Dear Evan Hansen was also made from Universal. But, like, that wasn't a talking point. Like, people don't know that off the hand. I did. Um, <laughs> and we reviewed the shit. And we reviewed the thing, yeah. Um, and uh, the last demand that he need, he wanted was the movie must be in the theaters for a hundred over 100 days. You, you know how many movies barely last two weeks? Yeah, you... I don't, I don't think that's gonna work. <laughs> like, I like mean, you're, you're you're handcuffing the studio like, and the and these poor theaters. It's like, it's like nobody's watching your movies. <laughs> like, what? Well, it, it's like, look, they, they, they the first few weeks they're gonna change out the IMAX. Absolutely, it's like like there's no way that that movie is gonna be sitting in IMAX for a hundred days. That's exactly. over exactly. That's crazy. that's over three months. Like, I mean, Tenet got that treatment probably because it was the only big movie out for the longest time because of the pandemic. But, like, you're telling me come July of 2023, like, there's not other big movies we're looking forward to at that time? It's the summer. It's the movie summer blockbuster season, yeah. no less. Yeah, you're going to dominate the summer. That And they agreed to that. I they mean, agreed to that. Yeah. Whatever. Like, Universal could have also, like, for them, that's their big summer movie. The power to them. But, like... I know Universal have probably other action-packed movies. I can't imagine a movie about the atomic bomb is that action-packed. Now, and also, uh, Killian Murphy, he's an amazing actor and also was in a lot of other Nolan's films like Dunkirk and Batman and, and more famously Inception. Um, but, like, he's not a – to be honest, he's not a huge name that brings people in. He's not uh, – I don't know. I, I, I think that's – that's debatable. Okay. Especially post Peaky Blinders. Yes, he he's he's I heard nothing but great things in his Which I haven't Peaky seen, Blinders. but I've heard that he's incredible in. Yeah, I know Becker loves that show and she loves well, that, him in that it. That was how he Peaky Blinders is what got him Quiet Place 2. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, John Krasinski, they said that was part, when they were writing the show, they were watching Peaky Blinders and he wrote that character like Envi- envisioning him, not realizing it was him, and, and that's what led to them reaching out to him and getting him onto that project. So How interesting. I mean, he's always been a phenomenal. I, what I think, what I, but what I think it is, is that he's underrated. Like a lot of people, mm-hmm. like they don't really know about him, but they should because he's an incredible actor. Right. Yeah. And but so like with that, I don't feel like that's gonna garner a lot of like. The 100 Days thing's a little bit much because there's a lot of movies out there right now. Like, for, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go back to Dear Evan Hansen. That movie was on in theaters. I mean, again, we're under different circumstances now, but that movie was in theaters, and now you can rent it at home. Like, it, that had a two-week lifespan. It's still available in theaters if you want it, but you can watch it at home after two weeks. And there has been a lot of movies. Like, hell, even Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings, which is doing fantastic in the theaters right now. That was a Labor Day weekend. You can then, now, coming next month, Disney has announced that you can watch that movie on Disney Plus for free starting November 12th. So, I mean, that was two months. Yeah. That movie's been, that barely two months went from theater, and now you can watch it at home. Like, we are living in different times, and the fact that you're demanding for a, for a studio to keep your movie in the theater for 100 days, as well as you can't release anything within a six-week time span. And this is with his numbers post-Tenant. Yes. Which were yes. good, but which they were weren't. Good. But they weren't incredible. Right, exactly. It's like, it, like 
a lot of people are talking about Shang-Chi and Venom's number now. And even it was a bigger deal with Godzilla vs. Kong came out early this year. Those are big numbers. Yeah, unfortunately, Tenet didn't do that. It was too early for Tenet. Yeah, you know what? Tenet, he took one for the team. That's what he, he did. did. He got <laughs> he did because he, he he's he did. Yeah, it it may like especially looking back like all the movies that have been released since then and all the stuff that's been released since then. But when that came out, we were like really fucking we were really fucking excited to go to this. Oh know? my yeah, that was a that was the next big movie we can look forward to. With everything getting delayed, he was our shining hope. It just they just wished it was gonna be bigger. Yeah, but which I still think in the time that we were in, giving the knowledge we had about the world and where we were. I mean, this was pre or at least early days of the vaccine, if I remember correctly. Uh, I'm not sure if we were there. We were far from that. I don't I don't right? think we it's were. Like it, like yeah. it wasn't like like it was nothing compared to what the world is now. As Absolutely not. So that, yeah. that's what I mean. Like, yeah, the numbers were low, but, you know. He was first. He was the first one, one of the first ones, yeah. you know, first big like big tentpole film to come out to try to get people to come back to the theaters. Absolutely, and I, I understand him trying to like give love to the theaters, like, but I, at a certain point, you're you're hindering yourself by not really be, at least having it be available on streaming. Like, yeah. what if like what if he let it go to streaming, but then put a stipulation on like. The percentage of income he retains from just internet, like you know, mm-hmm. streaming sales. I don't know. I mean, I, I I agree with you. I think that I, as much as I give him so much respect, he's an amazing filmmaker. Yeah. If if you haven't heard our, our um, director, our creator spotlight on Christopher Nolan, we do a whole deep dive on him, and he has such an appreciation for film and the filmmaking process, and like wanting to fill these with real. IMAX cameras and like he does the work. He appreciates the art form, and we we respect him for that. Yeah. But th- there's Love also for practical effects. Exactly, that's a big one for him. That's that's a huge one. Uh, but and, and also he backs that up with creative storytelling and original ideas. Um, and Which so is so but, hard in in a, in a world of remakes that we're in. Absolutely, right now. absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Uh, but there is a point where I feel like you also you're hurting yourself by not doing certain things. Yeah. And I feel like with some of the Give demands the that he's making, <laughs> that yeah, you have to. And I think like earlier on with the whole new age of streaming, you had the greats like Martin Corsese and Steven Spielberg. And I think those are the big two that were like, screw Netflix and the streaming platform. This is not this is not how we're going to move forward to. And look what happened. Corsese's next film was on a Netflix original with The Irishman. And Spielberg signed... Movie. Uh, my favorite movie, and uh, <laughs> and Spielberg signed a deal with his production company to do to do movies exclusively with Netflix. I mean, eventually you're gonna have to throw in the tile because that's where the times are moving. This is what the audiences want. But at the same time, though, still have a huge appreciation for the theaters, and these big movies are gonna be appreciated for the people who want to appreciate them in the big on the big screen. But he does make it a point, and the, his films. They are better. They do better in the theater. Like they, they are. They're his movies are made to be seen in the theater. Absolutely. Like it's not. It's not your just your typical drama. So I mean, we'll see what he has with um, with Oppenheimer. Like what, yeah. what's the what's the angle that's gonna make it so like heart pounding? I and oh, that, sorry, that pulse pounding. Pulse pounding. Yes. And then a, a paradox. Like what? Like it's very. I like what? Like it's very interesting. Like what angle they're gonna be telling this very pivotal point. In our human hit, not even just American history, just like uh, human history. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I, I am very curious about this because when I heard the news, it's like, oh, okay, I, I, I just don't see it. I don't see his vision. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I don't see his vision of how this is being a pulse-pounding epic thriller. Uh, but obviously, he pitched it to Universal, and uh, and he, he obviously he wrote it, and uh, they're willing to meet all these demands. So it must be something that we're not seeing. And by 2023, we're gonna see it, and uh, we could be eating our words two years later, <laughs> a little That's bit. True. I mean, I I have hopes because same. I mean, he's taken crazier ideas and made them like look at Inception. Like it's a it's a time heist. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's fantastic. That, he, that is one of my favorites. I'm sorry, Dream Heist. Dream Heist, yes. Time, time Heist was Tenant. <laughs> yes, Time Heist was Tenant. Dream Heist was was Inception. Uh, so maybe this is another heist he's working on. Who knows, really? Who knows? Bomb Heist. Uh, bomb Heist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're always looking forward to see Nolan's uh, next project. So two years from now. Uh, moving over to some... I don't know about this news. Uh, that A That 70s Show spinoff called That 90s Show is officially in development at Netflix with uh, Kurtwood Smith and Deborah Jo Rupp, uh, reprising Rupp. their role Rupp, um, reprising their roles as Red and Kitty Foreman. The show will be set in, in 1995 and will tell the story of Leah Foreman, daughter of Eric and Donna, who will be visiting Red and Kitty for the summer. That 70s show creators Bonnie and Terry Turner are joining the project as executive producers with Netflix giving us given the series a 10 episode order. There was no word if other members of the original cast would return for the spinoff. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, know. First, I mean, I really. First first... Yeah. First things first. Have you. Have you? Uh, are you a fan of uh, that '70s show? Yeah, I used to watch the that '70s show. I really, I mean, I really enjoyed it. So, I don't know. This kind of seems like, like the typical formula for like the rekindling of old shows that we all used to love, like Boy Meets World, Girl Meets World, and now we get. I'm sure there's others that I can't think of right now, but that's the first one that comes to mind. That, that's the same feeling I get when I look at that 90s show. Like it's about it's it's about the two the, the two main characters for the first one it's about their kid. Yeah, but but if they're not in it, then what's the point? That that that's what I'm saying. Like it's they might like, make an appearance. Like Topher Grace might come back for one. It's like this is yeah, like a major career. <laughs> but yes, you're absolutely right. And like Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis and um all of those people who made their career off of this show. I'm just thinking that like I don't know. The 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 comedic relief of Red and Kitty Foreman were were great. Um, I really enjoyed their chemistry, and they were definitely funny in the show. But we mainly followed the kids in that, not them. So the fact that they are going to be the main stars, and we're following a new batch of kids, this just feels like Saved by the Bell new gener new class, and you didn't bring anybody in except for the principal, and it, it didn't work. So, I mean, I feel like this is the same, but well, you did have uh, Dustin Diamond uh, come back as Screech, but like, like, I don't know, you got to bring back the whole, like, I understand following a new group of kids, but if you're going to do that, like, you got to bring back the other guys as well. And the fact they were predicating a show of just the parents, I'm not about that. It's like, that doesn't get me excited for this spinoff. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I probably I'm probably not gonna rush to watch it. <laughs> yeah. But if I'm looking for a sitcom, maybe. 
<laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, Netflix, you know, they did, they were very successful with Fuller House. But yeah, sure. then again, they brought back all That's the original. Yeah. Yeah. They brought back all the original, uh, the, the sisters and the ladies. Initially. With, initially. In the beginning. Yes. Well, no, you're right. Some no, of the, they're, some they're, of the sisters stayed on, but like <laughs> the first episode had like, the majority, like a lot of the cast came back for like the first episode. The first premiere, yeah. And then they were all gone. And then they were all gone. And then mainly followed, you know, DJ Tanner and uh, I think Sophie Tanner, I think her name is, and um, uh, Kimmy Gibbler. That's the that's the other one. Um, so they mainly followed those. Like we saw them as kids, now they're adults. So like that's the angle that I think was more successful. We'll we'll see. I, I I'm with you. I I watched it. I watched that '70s show all the time when it was on TV. Um, not pro- I think a lot of reruns for me, not when it was airing. But this idea, I think we we should we should revisit that. If you don't have some of the main characters coming back, maybe maybe not. That's that's just me. Uh, but yeah, I probably won't be rushing toward it. I don't need to see a trailer to see if this one's gonna work out. But yeah. anyway, if you're that '70s fan show and everything I said appeals to you, that's probably gonna be coming probably next year at some point. Uh, and the last bit of news that we have, uh, wrapping up this very large news week, is after much confusion about the film's release date, Sony and Amazon made an official announcement that the fourth and final installment of Hotel Transylvania Transformania will premiere on Amazon Prime Video January 14, 2022, um, delaying the film from its previous release date of October 1, 2021. Back in August, Sony decided to sell the film to Amazon for over $100 million, skipping a theatrical release altogether. Now, the reason why this is news is because Sony and, and or Amazon failed to tell anybody that this movie was not being released on October 1st. So a <laughs> lot of people on October 1st went to the streaming service expecting to see this movie ready for them to watch. And then there was like, where, where the fuck is the movie? Hey, where's but the movie at? <laughs> I, I, I told my kids that we were going to... Um, we were going to watch this movie now it's not here what's going on and um yeah that obviously did not happen and then they're like oops my bad did we not tell you guys that we have a new release date for this movie oh <laughs> my Be- bad jeff bezos is too busy going to space <laughs> yeah <laughs> with william shatner <laughs> with william shatner yes <laughs> like i got other things that I, gotta, I don't I gotta tell you guys when this fucking movies are coming out yeah jesus look look i just put william shatner i just put captain <laughs> kirk in space get off my ass the movie will be out when it's out. i bought it right i bought yeah it's like i said i'll release it at some point yeah sorry it, it wasn't it wasn't today i'm so sorry <laughs> no two-day um, delivery on that <laughs> yeah <laughs> But, but but it was it's not it's a, it's a three month it's a three month yeah. delivery a little bit on delay on that one yeah. um but also just an interesting choice like if the movie's ready why not just keep the original release date instead like I would I would understand maybe pushing it like end of October but like beginning of January like all right that's it's a movie about monsters it, why wouldn't you release it <laughs> during the spooky season which would be now <laughs> yeah it's it seems a little odd not to release it now. Like so, Adam's Family came out now. That yeah, was smart. This is a good was, month. This is a great month for Adam's <laughs> Family to come out. I wonder why, Ernesto. Do you think people actually enjoy watching spooky stuff in the middle of October? Yeah, you know, it's, it's almost like they want to get into the the swing. You know, they want to get into the feel of the season. You know, like people right. watching Christmas movies during Christmas. <sighs> I don't um, know. I don't we'll know. See. 
Well, anyway, for those who are looking forward to it and were maybe among the few who are disappointed, well, now you have a release date of January, so you got to wait a few months, but it'll be out um, soon enough. Uh, so there you go. That's all the news we have for you guys this week. We jam-packed with news. A lot of things happened this week. Um, if you always want more news from us, you can always hit us up on our social media channels on Instagram at box office underscore bingers and on Facebook at box office bingers. We will post all the latest news over there and then we come back to the podcast and we talk about them here. And next week, Ernesto, I know I just have a little bit of a hunch that with DC fandom coming out on uh, this weekend that all of our news is going to be consumed with things coming out of DC. Oh, so, I'm sure. And we're going to Oh yeah. We're going Steve's going to be back uh, to talk about to talk about it, so I'm it's, he's our, looking he's, forward to. He's, he's our, our DC he's our, resident. He's, he's our local DC guy. Oh yeah. So I know I spoke to him earlier this week. He is pumped for DC fandom, so he's going to have plenty to talk about next week and we are looking forward to see what's coming out of DC. Also uh, also he just started his podcast, so I'm kind of he excited did. to talk I'm excited to talk to him about that as well. Yeah, he's been teasing it on this show, and he said he was going to do it, and he finally did it. So, yeah, we're going to talk to him about the podcast as well. Um, so, yeah, so let's now move over to a fun segment we like to call What You're Watching. So, Ernesto, we'll start with you. What have you been watching? Well, the one thing I did finish and watch, I'm going to be saving for next week. Okay. That's a small tease. So, I did finish Midnight Mass, and I guess, I, Matt, you were telling me right before the show that you started Midnight Mass. Yes. That you're just getting started, so... Well, actually, I, I'm not just getting started. I'm almost done with it. But You're I want to. We're going to wait did. so we can, yeah, have that, that. we can have that good conversation next week. Mm-hmm. Steph will be on. Uh, maybe I can get him to watch it. We'll see. Wink, wink. Um, also, still watching Lucifer. Mm. It's just very entertaining. Excuse me. <laughs> you okay there, Ernesto? <laughs> Sorry, I had a sneeze. <laughs> for those who did, for those who wondered why I just cut out right there, I had a sneeze. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a sneeze there. Yeah. Should happen. <laughs> get, 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 get all that stuff out. Get yeah, all this get stuff out. out of it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Lucifer. It's a it's really good show. Like, kind of just showing like the devil work in a cop procedural show, and like him. And it's kind of interesting because they really ex- they kind of like explore like. Maybe not like the mythology of the devil, but like more of like his psyche if he were if he were here living on Earth. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting. I uh, uh, I'm in, in excited to see how it ends. Everybody speaks very highly of the show, but you know I'm on season two when it was on Fox, so it's got like that full 23 episode order. So yeah, you're getting a truck in there. I'm 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 here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be here for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um. I also watched I watched another one of those shorts, the Star Wars Vision shorts. It was the mm. one with uh, Bubba Fett and like a rock band. It was kind of it was kind of cute. Mm-mm. I I you know what I, I'm I, talking I, about? I've I've so I've seen all of them. Yes. I, have you seen all of them? I haven't seen all of them. Is there okay. another really good one? Because the one that I really like was the first one. Yeah, no, the first one's really good. The the rock one was that the second or third episode of that? Do, the do you the rock remember? band? Yeah, I think it's the second one. Okay, okay, so you saw that one. Yeah, that one is like that to be honest, it's not good. It's just, I, don't, I, I don't like, like that one. It was just it was just strange. It had a really weird ending. Like <laughs> it really, it really it's like, what was the point of this what was the point of this? Like <laughs> No, I, I couldn't agree more. And then Bubba Fett's alive? It's like where are we? Where are we in the universe? Like I don't 
what time what? period are we at? This shit doesn't add up. <laughs> I didn't get it either. It was very strange. I didn't. I actually watched them all in one sitting because these are these are very short. Yeah, they're, um, yeah, they're very short. Which which one was your favorite? I, I'm, I'm probably like, I'm getting the list up right now. I did the the best is yet to come in my opinion. Uh, but the first one, there's nine episodes, and the first one called a duel was really good. Yeah. Um, the next episode you're about to watch, so Tattoo Tatooine Rhapsody is the one. That yeah. you saw, and it's been the lowest rated one, which is understandably so. It was again not that great. Um, but the next one you're about to dive into is called the the twins, which was which is pretty solid. I did like that one. It definitely balances between good and evil. You get that 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 kind of storyline there. Uh, but my favorite one is the ninth Jedi, which is episode five. Ooh, okay, I'm not going to tell you any more than that. I really enjoyed that one. And also the Elder, which is um, episode seven, was also really good. Okay. I I enjoyed both of those. Um, but yeah. And I also finished What If. Did you finish it? Oh yeah, I did. Okay. Let's dive into it. Let's dive into What If. So what <clears throat> did, what did you think? I really liked. I really love the way that they took that they threw. They almost feel like they threw the audience off because it was pitched as these single stories. I didn't see it as something that was going to connect at the very end. Yeah, ne- neither did I, um, which I was I'm like 50 50 on it because, yes, we were pitched uh, a a show that was each episode's different, focusing on one aspect of an altered universe with within a Marvel character or Marvel characters or a situation. And I like what they were putting down. I, I really did. And the culmination of everything coming together at the end, it it was fine. It definitely wasn't its best work. Like the final episode was not the best in my opinion. Uh, but I I did like it because everyone did come together. But the reasoning behind it, it's like for example, and this is kind of getting to spoiler territory on what if, so you are you are warned. Um, but here's my opinion. You're telling me that if the Watcher was bringing a group together. Of all of the most best Marvel characters of the MCU to to help fight against a multiversal war, if you speak, uh, trying to stop again spoiler, uh, trying to stop a an we don't have to, version. We don't have to. We don't have to say who it is. Like, okay, you, fine. There, you could just they're fighting against the bad guy. We this fine fighting against the bad guy, and uh, you're telling me that the the most People equipped to do the job are the characters that we've been following in this running series. Well, that would make sense because then it gives us a reason to have followed those characters in the first place. Yeah, but you're telling me that even, like everyone, even Party Thor, every one of them were the selected one to defend the what do they call the the Guardians of the Multiverse? Guardians of the Multiverse. I feel well, they were all picked for. I feel like they were all picked for a reason, but. What I feel like it does, it gives us the introduction of the Watcher. So guess yes. what? Like we could be, ha- we could be looking at Jeffrey Wright as the Watcher in the MCU somewhere in the future. Like that's been established. If, and, and if they don't do that, I'll be very disappointed. Yeah, because now that I've heard his voice as the, as the Watcher, there can be no one else. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. He played like he. I felt like he played that role very, very well as the Watcher. Like mm-hmm. he just his like it just translated so well. Um, so I'm here for that. But what it. With everything that's going on in the MCU, they're very focused on the multiverse. So mm-hmm. how we how 
opportunistic is that we get an entire series dedicated to the multiverse and all and just like here here's a snippet of all the different multiverse of all these different universes that exist in the mcu multiverse and then the story in the storyline we see somebody break through the multiverse and you know causes this multiversal war as you as you would call as you would say you know what i mean so i feel like it's a hit i feel like it's a it's like prepping us for what's to come later oh yeah marvel's not stupid like obviously at the end of loki we kind of they talked heavily about alternate um variants and the multiverse they talked heavily about that uh specifically toward the end and also in the very beginning too like with miss minutes in the very first episode and so with that like we go from that show to the next show we see is what if that is solely about the multiverse and basically asking what if something happens and then we get to watch a show about it. They're prepping the audience for what's to come. Absolutely. Especially with Spider-Man and Doctor Strange in, in the in the horizon. Like Marvel's like, you better get ready because we're going to be throwing some shit at you and we got to prep you for all of this. Yeah. Um. But with that being said, what were some of your favorite episodes from that? Hmm. Uh, I really liked the Ultron episode. You did? Okay. I really, really enjoyed the Ultron episode. Without, and it doesn't even really give it's it really give it away. Um, but like, well, I mean, the title is "What If Ultron Won." It was, it was, it was good. I mean, I think that's a great question to ask because a lot of people were upset that you know Ultron wasn't as big in Avengers: Age of Ultron. He is this huge thing. He's and such a ep- badass villain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so this episode kind of showcased of how badass he really could be. I mean, there's one part, my favorite part of that episode is when Thanos comes and he just fucking cuts him in half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, all right, moving on with my day. <laughs> He's like, oh, that's interesting. You got this, yeah. this little glowy hand thing. All right, I'll just take that from yeah. you. Thank you. And, and for uh, those who don't know, that's like, a, it, this is a stem off of um age of ultron so what if he won in age of ultron like yes. what if and what if they didn't get they didn't turn vision's body what if vision didn't turn into vision what if vision actually turned into ultron like he initially oh, intended right exactly yeah i think that that was i think that's a great what if story i mean i also like the um, I, not my favorite but you know what if captain carver was the first avenger that's um, kind of cool it was cool, but it played too heavily into the first film, and they I felt like they just kind of picked certain scenes, and so we just saw the same scenes again, but with her, and it's altered, and I didn't like that that much, and then when you compare it to the second episode, it was, uh, what if T'Challa became Star-Lord? That, like, it took a small what-if moment. What if, you know, he went, he was Star-Lord, and then the rest of it was, like, brand new material, and, like, actually going for it. Like, it was shocked when you saw Thanos, and he was actually... A good guy. You're like, what? And he's like, oh yeah, he just talked him into being a good guy. And you're like, well, damn, Star Lord is the like, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Um, T'Challa. No, not T'Challa. What's what's Chris Pratt's character? Star Lord. Uh, Peter Quill. You're like, oh damn, Peter Quill is the worst because you tell me <laughs> if T'Challa was up there, it, everything would have been fine. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. What if he, he's? And it was funny. Like in the beginning, they're like, like. It was a play off of the beginning of Guardians when he's like trying to get them to call him Star Lord. Yeah. And then when T'Challa is Star Lord, they're like, "Oh my God, 
<laughs> it's the Star Lord. Yes. <laughs> like they're they're like almost amazed that they're gonna get their ass whooped by. Him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also like he turns them into the good side. Like he 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 uses reason to get them to like, hey, you don't yeah. do this. Here's He's a why. diplomat. A cos- yeah, exactly. Like a diplomat in the cosmos. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this already, but like the Doctor Strange episode. Oh, that was so dark. Oh my <laughs> that was, god, that one was really that one was really good. That one was really that, that was, was amazing. That one's probably up there with the Ultron episode. And then also like the fact where where it ends, it just like kind of just fades to black, and then you're like, oh fuck, that's the credits. Oh damn, like you ended it there, and then the this credits like, okay, we're done with the story. Like no 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 no, come back. And come back. and they did and, and they did come back actually. Yeah. <laughs> little, little did we know. Um, what if zombies was, was pretty fun? Yeah, I kind of wanted more of that because the, mm. the the cliffhanger on that one is like you see like Thanos as a zombie, but he's got like the Infinity Gauntlet. It's like yeah, it's like that would have been cool. Like I felt like they could have we could have seen more of that. I thought they were gonna put that at the end when you know at the, at the last episode when all those zombies came to to, to play. Yeah. Um, but like, and that's that's kind of what I'm talking about. The thing I didn't like it. I feel like that they like we were seeing all of these things within the episodes, and they kind of just. Within good, within a reason. Like I'm not saying the reason was dumb, but like they brought everything back together at the final episode, and and I and I and I liked a lot of it, and then I didn't like a lot of it. Like I feel like a lot of it was kind of just shoehorned in there, but then a lot of it was like I enjoy what I was watching. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I I see where you're coming from because like now if they did a second season, what would you want to see from the second season? Honestly, and they kind of already said this. This, this said the second season is going to focus on a lot of the the characters from Phase Four, um, and they're going to be less of a culmination of things and more what we were kind of pitched in season one, which was every episode is going to be different, focusing on a situation within the MCU. Mm. And and honestly, that's what I prefer. Like they, we don't have to bring all these stories together. It was cool that we saw that, and now we know that it could happen, and we're probably going to be seeing a lot of that in the movies. But we don't. I don't really need to see that um, all the time. It doesn't need to be the the main storyline. Like I'm I'm happy with the watcher just kind of watching these situations. But it, again, kind of with the episode, the title of the episode, what if the watcher broke his oath? Is is interesting to see a situation in which he had to do that. Seeing as how he already like knows all possible outcomes. Right, right. But he, like, has to, he, he, like, that was the one time he guided them into the one that he wanted, that he needed to happen. Right, which was a great element how that episode ended. Because there was, an, there was a point where I'm like, why? Like, again, I was confused. It's like, why is the episode where Killmonger literally dominated is now part of this Guardians of the Multiverse and you now are a hero? Did, Watcher, did you not see what happened in that episode? He is definitely not a hero. That but was then, a pretty good episode, too. And it was. And the fact that we got Michael B. Jordan to reprise his role. It definitely we got to. I felt like we got to see Killmonger more in What If than we did in Black Panther. Probably, because that's 33 minutes. I just look at the time here. That's 33 minutes of full Killmonger. I'm sure if you break down how how many minutes he was in Black Panther, you probably get more of this than you would in actual in the actual movie. He was great. Like I felt like we got to really see like the range of Killmonger in that in that series. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Like all in all, I I did enjoy the, the What If series. I think it's a, it's a like the 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 despite it being animated, this series was not for children. This was made for Marvel fans. 
and and the Except fact for that the no, first episode, I feel like the first episode was was like mainly for the kids. Like yes, it was a, yeah, it was a very like a it was a very kid like story. Like it was very one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't really start getting depth until the later episodes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Party Thor was interesting. I mean. Party Thor is probably on the same level as the Captain Same level. Of, yeah. They didn't really go anywhere. But it was kind of interesting to see, like, Howard the Duck married Darcy. Like, that's just yeah. weird. That was weird. <laughs> uh, but they, look, I can't, I can't blame them for taking strides, you know? And some of them worked and some of them didn't. And so I hope that they can take what worked and put it into season two. And I, and I'm, and they did say that because Gomorrah was in the final episode and we kind of see a little bit of snip of, like, where she was taken from. They did say that you're going to see that episode. Um, of 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 that that of that Gomorrah. So oh so okay. I, so we're gonna. Yeah, I was wondering. I was like, did we get introduced to her? Where yeah. like she's like the Thanos of the universe. Right, and, like, right. She works with like this Tony Stark, with Tony Stark in like a spacesuit kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Uh, I had a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, and so like they, I'm not sure if that was supposed to be part of season one because that makes a lot more sense if it was. Um, but they did come out and say that you're going to see that story in season two. So that is, that is going to be happening. Um, but I think that's funny because in that scene where they were like, um, like, he's like, I need you to defend the multiverse. And then, and then I forgot, I think Tony Stark said something. He goes, not you. I need her. <laughs> Get, out <of> the way. <laughs> Get out of the way. Get out of the way, Tony. Also, I mean, they treated Tony Stark like shit in this series. <laughs> yeah. They just shit on him. Every, like, fuck you. Kill you, Tony Stark. Like, he pretty much gets fucked up in every, every episode. In every episode. Which, you know what? I mean, maybe a little bit overkill to do it in every episode. But at the same time, I feel like MCU proper with these movies kind of centered around Tony Stark. It's kind of nice to see that, you know, this show kind of centered around other people. Like other characters. What if Tony Stark was disposable? As he was yeah. not in the, I mean, <laughs> as he was not during the first ten ten years of MCU. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, that's exactly what we got. But honestly, I would love to see any one of these alternate characters make a live action appearance. Specifically, Agent Carter. Yeah, I felt like they were kind of there. They could be setting that one up. Yeah, maybe in the I, future. Maybe I at would least lo- for like one appearance. I would love to see Captain Carter come out there badass and they and even the last episode they kind of gave her a lot of the shining moments in that episode so i think they might be bringing her up for us to like it uh like her and then i mean i'm Haley atwell came back to voice the character who's to say that she won't come back and don the suit you know what i mean like exactly it seems like no at least once and the same with doctor strange and like the the um the dark doctor strange that we got in that episode like he could easily make an appearance. I mean, is it safe to say that he is the most powerful Sorcerer Supreme because of all everything that he's consumed? Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, imagine I can see it. bring him over in the MCU. Although he is, but he is trapped in his pocket dimension. Well, I guess that's. I don't want to give too many spoilers away. <laughs> yeah, we've 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 done a lot, we've done a few already. We've but... we've already we've already let quite a few slip. But <laughs> yes. you were warned. <laughs> you were warned. Yes. But either way, I think it's safe to say that we both enjoyed What If. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I would most definitely come back for the next season. Absolutely. What else you got? Uh, that's it. That's all I got. That's all you get? All right, cool. Um, so, Ernesto, you gave me a little bit of homework last week. <laughs> okay. And I will say that I, I'm not going to toot my own horn here, but I, I think I've exceeded your expectations. 
Well, just, that's, that's saying a lot, Matthew. So. <laughs> you're like, I'm curious to see you hear what you you're like. To say. Go on, sir. Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's see. <laughs> so, uh, before I I watched uh, the next thing about talk to you, I finished Mayor of Easttown. Uh huh. It's really good. Yeah, it gets it, really good. It's so good. It's six episodes. It's a solid six episodes. You get character depth, and you get, like, honestly, what's really hooked me is, like, the characters are so, like, the, it was well acted. Kate Winslet was great in it. Debatable if she, <clears throat> she was within stiff competition for the Emmys. I can see why they gave it to her, but it's, you know, the argument can be said, literally, it was anyone's game. Like, I understand if Kate Winslet got it, if Annie Taylor-Joy got it, if um, uh, Elizabeth Olsen got it, understandable. The per- like Evan Peters, he was great as a, in a supporting role. I really liked his character. Uh, Julianne Nelson, I believe, was the person who, um, or Nicholson, who was the who won for the supporting role. I can see it, but I felt like the award could have given to somebody else. It's just my personal opinion. But regardless of all the award stuff, the show was great. It's it's a fantastic mystery. It got me to the point where like it's it's ending, and you've kind of accepted everything, and then they're like, wait. One more thing. And you're like, oh, fuck. No, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, like, I was, like, I was here for it. Like, I was really drawn into the story. And I think they did a really good job with the mystery. I think it's a great crime drama. And um, I think that it, they HBO almost redeemed themselves with the um, unsatisfying ending that was The Undoing. Ooh. I feel like they kind of like, Mayor, like, all right, I we heard you about the undoing. Now we present you with Mayor of Easttown, and you're like, that's much better, HBO. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, uh, the undoing was garbage. <laughs> it was good up until it wasn't. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then the Mayor Town, Mayor of Easttown, was like, we have the first episode that are introducing these characters, and then, um, and then the rest kind of followed suit. Of like we are diving in within this larger mystery of it all, and so I I really really enjoyed it. Like I I definitely like Ernesto. You should watch it. I think you would really like it. Um, all right. Okay. That being said, I then moved on to clickbait. Ooh. Okay. And I watched. I and I have finished, finished all of it. I finished the whole thing like you told me to. And that was part of my homework. I didn't love it as much as you did. Okay. I I found the sister, Aunt Pri. Is it Pri? Priya. Priya, yeah. I found she was her very significant in the beginning, and then she kind of like not be. She became not important towards the end. Correct. But also, I found her character very annoying. I did not like her character at all. Um, but I love the structure of each episode. Yeah. How we were kind of diving into we were focusing on one character while also unraveling this mystery of it all yeah but i feel like the front half and and part of it i feel like because i went from one mystery to the next like with mayor of east town and clickbait were two kind of crime uh, dramas and so i went so from you, something I, are you comparing an emmy nominated show to clickbait is that what i'm about to hear okay no no no. <laughs> let me no. make sure i understand that before you say before anything before you say anything else you're comparing an hbo 
Emmy nominated. Actually, I'm sorry, Emmy award winning show. Yes. To clickbait. Clickbait. I mean, okay. Yes, Continue. yes and no. Yes and no. <laughs> Continue. So like, which I one did like you I, watch first? Which one did you watch first? Yeah, no, no. I hear you say yes, yes. Okay. I did watch okay. that one first. Yes, okay. I understand what okay. you're saying. Um, but like, I enjoyed that. Yes. I mean, I, I, I really liked it, and then I came for something that I didn't like as much. I feel like maybe that's something to hinder it. But at the same time, like I was saying, I like the structure of clickbait, how we were focusing on one character while also kind of diving into more of the mystery, and then the front half of it lacked for me i didn't care as much in the front half and then the back half when we were actually getting the answers i was like okay i see what you're doing i understand the social media messages that you're presenting and i felt like they didn't do a good job of teasing us with that information in the front half of the show Mm. that because like honestly in my opinion i think now, again, we're talking a little bit of spoilers here on clickbait as well, so you were warned if you haven't seen it. But, like, the fact that we've reached 5 million views that quickly, I thought that was going to be, like, the the crux of the season. So maybe that was part of me expecting something that wasn't really part of the story. But I thought when I was walking into this, this show, we were going to be focusing on the fact that what if like like leading into 5 million views. And but we got there so quickly. And so then we saw what happens afterward and I was like, "Oh, okay. I thought we were really focusing on like like I thought we were also going to be focused on the fact that people are actually watching this. And so maybe like I was expecting a bigger deal when it hit 5 million views as opposed to like what if the what if the scenario if it didn't, you know what I mean? But I but I think that's the point. I think it, that was the point because when things like that go viral, like, like look at how some of these like trailers break break the internet and you have hundreds of millions of views just in twenty four just in twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. So I think like it reaching five million views so quickly is like was like nothing because everybody was rewatching it, refreshing it. They even yeah. focused on Priya like literally showing her refresh it. Like every yes. time you hit refresh, you are adding another view Absolutely. by you seeing if the views went up. <laughs> right, right. You you make a good point. And I think that and I thought that this show was going to focus a little bit more on that because like you do realize that if this, if this does hit 5 million views, this person could die. Like I, when when you're watching I, that, do you not realize that? I think that was a part of Priya. I think that was part of her story because I felt like each episode. Now, just kind of thinking back, it took a certain aspect of social media and it like attached it to a character. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at like spoiler the the are, are we doing full spoilers? We, we might as well. We both seen it. We, we we want to dive into it. So yeah, we might as well. Okay, so at the end when we find out who it is, it it showcases that person. Um, God, I guess we're doing full spoilers. All right. So like when it shows the lady um, posing as him on the on the dating website, like yes. you die. Her episode is all about her and like the connections she created with these people and how like she became like engulfed into this thing like until it became a thing where it went too far and Mm -hmm. then obviously then they had to resort to what they had to resort to like Mm -hmm. and in the first episode you get is i think is about what exactly what you're talking about like 
the whole thing of the five million views and like like you get that one scene where she walks into like i think it's like the chemotherapy place and like every you walk in and it's a wide shot and you see like all the screens have the video have the video up and she's like yelling at people like you shouldn't be like you shouldn't be watching that and then we cut to her like constantly hitting refresh doing the same thing yeah doing the exact same thing so being like a but i think they made her annoying because i think they made her a character caricature of like of like a young millennial i guess you know yeah. what I mean? Of mm-hmm. like, you know, living that, living the lifestyle, like on dating apps, doing stuff like that. Like, I feel like that was part of that. Like, he, and then you get the son where he's on, he's on the chat room, and like, the he has ha, he has that whole realization that he could be being catfish right now. So like, we get that, we get that whole aspect. Like each episode, like focuses on something. Right, and and obviously, you know, a lot about when, and I feel like that when we were focusing more on that, you know, how social media is affecting other people. We see that affecting the reporter and how he does his job. We see that yeah. affecting the wife and how it affects her life and like the what mistress. people think of her, the mistress and how creating, it her creating, life. creating that whole fantasy in her head and which absolutely like, and how that made the whole investigate and like her having that whole ideology of that, that it was a real thing and making people believe that it that he did go out there and it happened like mm-hmm. she changed the whole course of the investigation like just by her having this fantasy that she built up that from her online dating yeah and i will credit the show for kind of keeping you guessing with that interesting um focusing on a particular character's um like viewpoint of, view. of this yeah. point of view while also how how social media affected them as well as like the story still progressed. We're just kind of like, like, okay, we're just going to move the story forward, but focusing on this character now. And like, they never really went back and kind of showcased any, like they didn't like, okay, now we're going to have the same situation, but a different viewpoint with a different character. Um, they, I liked how they kind of progressed the story just by focusing on one individual, um, which also presented with an interesting storytelling tac- tactic, as well as I enjoyed. Um, I think I was uh, surprised when we came down to the end of who actually 100%. committed the murder. I because I, I didn't see it coming. Yeah, I just I, I didn't see it coming. I didn't see her. I didn't see her be uh, the assistant being the villain. But I just I thought it was so compelling, like that whole her whole episode to me, like the way they showed. Like when we got there and they explained how it came about, I was like, oh, my God, like it doesn't seem like totally out of the realm of possibility. Like they made I felt like they made the story very believable. And I feel like with anyone's scenario, they made anyone the culprit of this of who uh, who done it. Basically, the only thing that I didn't like about some of it was that I feel like I think they tied it all together. And I feel like this is why I maybe felt disconnected in the beginning. But obviously, we at the end, we realized that her actions affected a lot of other people in this. Meaning, and more importantly, the brother when we had that episode. And we saw how that affected him after she kind of let, again, spoiler territory. We, we, note, we, we, um, we found out that because of her actions... It led to another woman committing suicide and then her brother going on a rampage to to finding the person that he thinks said all those information and then putting him in a truck and telling him that after five million views, he dies. But after that moment, when when he's literally running to 
like and then but when you when you realize that that wasn't really connected that kind of bothered me a little bit because it just seemed very random to like why would you post a video that if 500 muse he dies like there was no reason behind that like you understand why he captured him but there was no reason for him to create the video and kind of prolong anything like i i didn't i just didn't understand that part see to me i think just thinking back i think that's tied more to the brothers episode because he was a content moderator at like a at like a this universe's youtube oh okay so he know you know what i mean like he knows what what'll what'll get the views up there because I, I mean that's how they linked him and all that stuff right 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 yeah okay that, that makes more sense i forgot that that was his profession um because then on top of that then like obviously he got a lot of people's attention and then he wanted to get the word out that this person was a bad person which would definitely exactly. made sense uh but then it kind of they kind of went nowhere with that i think part of my problem is that the show was pitched one thing and i might have like kind of relied on that to continue that trend and then it being something completely different which i wasn't on board at at first but then when the whole story came together and it reached to the end like okay i kind of see it and I understand the messages, uh, but I feel like I just wish the front half was as compelling as the second half. That's why you don't watch the trailer. What? Well, whatever. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I didn't expect any of that. I knew that the five million was an aspect of it, but I didn't. I wasn't leaning on it being the main focal point. Like I'm assuming yeah. the trailer it focuses very heavily on that. On Probably. the video, and yeah, yeah. Five million views. Right. Yeah. 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 And so that's what I th- and that's why I thought that the whole show was going to be predicated on like people stop watching, it's getting closer to the number. The fact that we got there so quickly, I was like, oh, okay. See, here but we I are. think if the show had been about that of like, oh, like all whole six episodes is like the countdown to the five million to find out who did it, I felt like we would have been bored very, very, very quickly. Okay, that's fair enough. That's I mean, fair. think about it. If you had had that story without the other aspect of like him being like catfish as someone else right like, if you didn't have that whole aspect if it was just about the guy and like if he was the one who did that to his sister and like he actually did those things like would you have would you have thought this would we be having this conversation right now probably not no <laughs> uh but it's funny because i i for i wasn't the only person to think this i thought this was a movie not a series so I didn't I was, think it was a movie at first. I didn't right? also did, thought it was a movie. At so first. like when I did see the trailer, I'm like, oh, okay, that's an interesting idea for a movie. I'll probably watch it. But then it's like, oh no, there's like seven episodes attached to this. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So like to your point, I I also thought that was like, well, this is a weird idea to stretch for seven episodes, but obviously it didn't go down that way. So like I I enjoyed it. I think the ending definitely saved it for me. I was yeah. a bit weary at first, but like. I think it came together quite nicely, and I and I liked it. Like obviously, I kept watching it. There was an intrigue there somewhere. But I agree. I, I, I agree with you 100% because it's, and to me, it's like the ending, like the fact that it has a satisfying ending makes yes. the things that I didn't like about the show, like I don't care as much because you were able to end the story on a good note. Because I hate it when it's the other way around. Like when yes, like the undoing. The mm-hmm. whole show was great until the very end when well, it's garbage. And now when I think about that show, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I Yes. Yeah. And I think I'd rather have a weak beginning and a, and a great ending than the other way around. Absolutely. Correct. Absolutely. Because that, that really ties the story together. Because then you can go back and watch and be like, okay, maybe under this new prism, maybe I didn't see what they were trying to present at first. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Because then if it has a bad ending, then you're like, okay, well – I definitely 
see where you're coming from and this is not what I wanted. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but there you go. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's all I've been watching. That's all I got for you. Um, so now let's dive into our spoiler review of the week, which is Venom, Let There Be Carnage, uh, directed by Andy, uh, Andy Serkis, starring Tom Hardy, Woody Harrelson, Ernesto, what were your thoughts on Let There, Venom, Let There Be Carnage? Well, I think first and foremost is that I liked it better than the first one. I think we can both <laughs> agree on that. Cause did you re, did you rewatch the first one? No, but I really wish that I would have because I found okay. myself in the movie feeling like kind of lost. I was like, oh, I know he fought this other black symbiote and like and like you couldn't really see him. <laughs> like it, it was like they were fighting in the dark and it was black on black. So like, yeah, you know, not like good. I, I, didn't, I didn't bring a flashlight to watch that fight. So. <laughs> Like, we could have picked any other color, anybody. I think it was more of a silver, but, yeah, it was like a dark silver. Yeah, it was like um, a dark silver. Yeah, I, I did watch Venom before the movie, like a, like, like a, a day before. And after a, after I finished the movie, I was like, man, this movie still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, st- I hadn't seen it since I watched it in the theater. And then when I rewatched it, I was like, no, it's still bad. I still don't <laughs> like it. It's still bad. <laughs> so like my expectations are like weren't that high walking into Carnage, which I guess is better than having high expectations because like you can only go up from here. But yeah. yeah, you were saying. But but saying that, see the only thing I remember hating the first Venom, but the only thing that drew me to come back was the cutscene at the end of the first one, which mm-hmm. is where we get the view of Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy, the one and only like. Uh, the one and only Carnage, right? mm-hmm. and Carnage is just so iconic to the Marvel universe, and just even just Venom and the symbiotes, and just like all of them, like they they all have so just a very they all have a very special place in my heart when it comes to the MCU. Um, okay. I thought the CGI, I like overall, I thought the story it was it was okay, it was good. I thought it was okay, like you know, it it is what it is. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. Like the CGI was great. Um, I did enjoy like Woody Harrelson when he was on screen as Carnage. I thought it was great. Like the whole him, you know, we get the Venom and uh, Eddie Brock talking to each other. We get a little bit of that with Carnage and Cletus and and their bond together. Um, like when it's him and Shriek in the car. Like, and he, like, takes control of that car. That whole scene when, like, they're coming mm-hmm. to fight him and he's just, like, Carnage is just, like, throwing stuff and just, like, causing just mass, de- like, mayhem and destruction. Like, I felt like all that stuff on scene was good. Um, mm-hmm. I did like that we got Shriek because Shriek is, like, almost an acknowledgement that there are mutants. Yes. Because Shriek is a mutant. So, so it's like, okay, so that means there's X-Men in this universe. So maybe mm-hmm. that's you know hopefully that's the sign that we're gonna be getting them getting them into the universe. But I was confused. I was confusing Scream, um, Shriek with Scream, because there is a female symbiote called Scream where she has very similar powers, but she also right. like, whips her hair and like her hair is a part of her symbiote. So I was like, when is she gonna get it? But they're actually they're actually two two separate characters. So I. I had a problem with her character. I understood what she meant for 
um, Cletus Cassidy, obviously, yes. like they and were she is com- and she is comic book accurate, <clears throat> like she is his, like they were together in the comics. Yeah, and I'm totally fine with that, and I am. I'm okay with the, you know, her, like, he, he, Cletus Cassidy had a clear mess, like, clear motive. Like, he wanted to be seen. I guess part of me was like, I, <laughs> without knowing anything, I guess Cassidy was really hoping that she read the newspaper because, <laughs> because there was none of that information when it got out, you know, to, specifically for her. And so with all of that, like, her, I understand what she meant to that particular story plot, but like the fact that they gave her powers or like her powers had literally nothing to do with the story except for the very end. But those are her powers. I, I, I understand. <laughs> those, are I understand her power, those are her powers in the universe. It but would have been, th- it would have been th- equally, it would have been equally, it would have been equally annoying if not more so if she had shown up in this movie as his character and had none of the powers as a character that she had in the comic books. Look, that, that reason is very valid because I'll have the same thing if, you know, I'll have the same opinion. But all I'm saying is that make it within the story that her powers, like, we didn't have any introduction on those things, didn't have any meaning in this particular story. It was just we, like, here's a woman that I love who also had powers, and I didn't. Like, Cassidy was a serial killer, but he didn't have those powers either. And so I'm assuming that he knew that she had powers, but that's undetermined at that point. I don't well, know. It, if, se- if she... it seems like they all knew that she had powers, but right. But her powers were are a big part of the storyline because in the beginning, when she um, messes up the detective's ears, and mm-hmm. in the end, when they're fighting and she uses her sonic scream to piss off Carnage, and that's what right. causes the break. For, for Venom to go in and eat Carnage and then watch Woody Harrelson fall to his death. <laughs> <laughs> and that part too. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's, that's the only part that actually you know, kind of lended itself to the story. That's Other a very one, important part to the story. That's how yeah, we get to the end. Yes, that is. you're absolutely right. I'm not doubting that, and I think that's a great thing to have. Like That was in the story, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, the rest of the movie, it didn't matter. It didn't matter that she had these powers. Only The only thing is that it pissed off Carnage. Like, this woman needs to shut up. And then Woody Harrelson was like, no, this is my, my lover. You don't tell her to shut up. And then Carnage's like, no, this bitch is going to be quiet. But it was the reason why that Carnage, why that Carnage and um, Cletus wouldn't completely bond. Yes. That, which was, they didn't have the symbiotic, haha, symbiote, sim, they didn't have that symbiotic relationship like Venom, like Venom has with Eddie Brock. Mm-hmm. Like, and that, and that, that was a big part because if they can't be together, then he, what, that means he wasn't even at his full strength. You're right. And I, I didn't really think of it at that point, And you make a good point that that is, that is definitely the only reason why Venom won in that battle, which was kind of, there was a funny scene where he was like, uh, like they're ready to fight, and then like he turns in the cards in, in the church, and then Ed, and then Venom turns back into Eddie Brock. He's like, nope, no, nope, we're not doing that. Nope, nope, we're done. Oh, he's we're, red. We're... No, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> we don't deal with the red ones. No. <laughs> well, because they're they're typically the stronger of the symbiotes. Yes. Yeah. 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 And and so like they had the pep talk. He's like, and what? Then he said like, get ready to die or something along those lines. And then he was like, just to just to clarify, I'm talking about us getting ready to die, not him, because we're not we're not going to win this battle. But here we are anyway. <laughs> um. But yeah, I I thought that. Yeah, I, with with Shriek in particular, 
I just felt like they could have just incorporated her a little bit more, except for being some sort of like prize for Carnage. That like it was very heavily tied to Carnage, and she, we didn't really get to know her more, and therefore I felt like I didn't care about her character as much. And okay. that, that that's my only complaint about that. Otherwise, going back to like why wasn't she just a symbiote in the first place? Like, if this is a whole... Like, she also felt a little bit out of place. Even though she is comic book accurate, like, this whole movie's about symbiote, and then we throw in a mutant in there. They didn't do that for the first movie. That was, again, all about the symbiotes. So, I, I a little bit out of place, but I I, I kind of get it. Like, I, I... But I wasn't fully invested into that particular part of the movie. Mm, I mean, I, I, I can see that. I can see that. The only reason... I enjoy this because look, him and Mulligan, and this is more this is more kind of talking about what happens to Mulligan at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, like because of their hate for each other, like I, don't, I actually don't even remember how does he get he gets thrown off somehow. But I yeah, it, it involves he, involved, her because. So- because it involves her because of their because yes. of their because of their past together. Yeah, but, they the, he he gets kidnapped by Shriek. And so I think he's just like there and then he's either falling or he's still tied up and then eventually what a sliver of carnage like gets Actually we don't even see that. I think we just see his eyes turn black, right? Blue. I thought they turned blue. It could have been blue. You're right. It could have been blue. Um but yeah, but that's that's kind of what happens. At least barely you know toxin he becomes toxin right. which is like the one of the strongest symbiotes there is and he's like really evil <laughs> like i'm not, and I'm not each f- one each symbiote so like venom gave birth to carnage so carnage is stronger than venom than venom so then yeah. carnage gave birth to toxin so toxin is stronger than carnage and technically speaking, which I feel this is very weird verbiage, but like throughout the movie, Carnage kept calling Venom his father, father and yeah. son. And so then technically Toxin would be Venom's grandson. Or is that correct? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's a very weird thing to say, but I guess that's what's happening. Um, but yeah, like I, it's, it's weird because I didn't really, I'm not familiar with Toxin. So I didn't realize that's what they were teasing. Um, but I don't see, like, like when you see Woody Harrelson and and Tom Hardy going head to head, that's headlines. Um, I'm not familiar with this actor for him to be like a big, like a big get to get for you know the he third looks, film. You know? He kind of looks like he looks like Mark Wahlberg's little brother, <laughs> right? Doesn't he? Yes, he does. I, I feel like if you're setting up the next big bad, you would have done so with a more notable actor. Uh, and that's just my opinion. I'm not saying that he's not great at what he's doing, but like he was fine as a detective, but he didn't like stand out to me. Um, like I could see. It. Okay, I I see that, but I think they're just setting they're setting him up for the future. Oh, absolutely. That's exactly what they're doing. Um, but yeah. So what, what do you think about like the the chemistry between Venom and, and Eddie Brock? Because that's what the main story was about. Uh, I thought it was good. They had a, they obviously had a lot of good uh moments together you know with that you get that whole obviously when he makes him when he turns him into carnage when he gets a little bit of his blood in him yeah you get that whole scene where he's like interviewing him um i thought it was good i just i I think anytime woody harrelson was on scene like he just kind of dominated 
Yeah, I feel like he because he was kind of like Woody Harrelson as Carnage was kind of like wacky a little bit. Yeah, like he was like over the top, which I think worked for this movie because this whole movie is over the top. And you're like because really and Cletus Cassidy is a psychopath. <laughs> right, right, yeah. They kind of leaned in more into the silliness of the idea of Venom. Then where I feel like maybe the first movie was maybe taking itself a little bit too seriously in some areas, um, but but yeah, like the, the the I guess the chemistry that is that's within the two actors really worked in some degree. Um, I like the build up to it. You know, obviously we were getting uh, Cletus Cassidy to his death, and I I, I did find it strange that Cassidy was reaching out to Eddie Brock to write stories on him. Like, how did he know him, and how did he know that the, his stories would have value? Because at the time, he was a nobody. Like, Eddie Brock did not have a career. Like, he lost that. So, I don't know 100% the reason why Cletus Cassidy reached out for Eddie Brock to, for him, this particular individual, to tell his stories. Well, he invited him because... Didn't he invite him because he figured out... No, no, he figured out his crime after he, after he went there. Yeah, it, it just feel like well, they did it. They did an interview a year prior. A year prior, that he interviewed him. He did. Yeah, I thought I that was so. the first. I thought at the end of the first movie that was the first time he was interviewing him. And then like like how does Cletus Cassidy know of his fame or you know popularity um, through through prison? Because like at the time he wasn't writing newspaper articles. He was on a TV show. So that that part kind of threw me off a little bit of how all that came to be. But, I mean, if you just ignore that, like how we got here, I guess that's fine. Him wanted to interview him. And he did say within the movie that, like, you and I are alike. I know a lot about you. How? I don't know. Like, didn't really focus that he knew him or his family prior to him going to prison. So it was a little bit of a question mark for me of how we got there. But... I do. I think I want to say that he invited him like that. They they had an interview a, prior to him coming that last time. I could okay. be wrong, though. Um, but without that, do, do, do you see like do, is there anything else that they could have alluded to Cassidy wanting to speak to Eddie Brock specifically? I just think I really think that I thought maybe he covered his murders or like he did a piece on him. Like he did a story on him, and maybe that's why he wanted to see him. I, mm. I think I think it has something to do with that. Like, and he wouldn't want to speak to anybody else except for Eddie Brock. Yeah, and that, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that that part confused me a little bit. Um, I thought it was a little bit weird that, in my opinion, the best parts of the of the movie was the connection between Eddie Brock and Venom and their interactions with one another because it was very comical. Like, obviously, Venom and 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 Eddie were very funny with each other, but then you took him out of his element. Like you, like he decided to like be free and like I don't need you anymore. And then the, the, I felt like the movie wasn't as strong at that point. Like the hero lost his powers. Uh, but but that's this... that's something that happens. Like he leaves him and then he goes and like finds other hosts. But the, the only person he's ever been able to bond to successfully is with Eddie Brock. Nobody else well, can last the... as long. Right. Yeah, lasts as long. But it, what's interesting is that in the first movie made a good point of like you have to get that that synergy with the symbiote. Like, but then some people reject it, and but they die instantly. So you're telling me that like, um, what's her, Anne, his his somewhat girlfriend, and the the lady from from the shop connected with Venom like that well in order for them to not 
die almost instantly. But Venom can he can last for a little while, but then they start to give up. Like that whole part, that whole rave scene. Like he was mm-hmm. in that person for a little while until yeah. they could until they couldn't handle it anymore. Right, and then they kind of just I, I don't maybe he didn't die. I'm not sure. But you, you, since you mentioned it, that rave scene, that was weird. It was a little weird. <laughs> it was it was a stretch. It's like I thought he was gonna bust out and start rapping or singing or something along those lines. That rave scene, but like it's just like the fact that he just stopped the crowd and just like I just want to thank you guys all for for accepting me for who I am. I was like no one no one did that. It's like they they it's <laughs> just found that it's just strange that you're here, but they're not questioning it because most of them are probably doing drugs. I don't know. Yeah, but, <laughs> and it's supposed to be a costume party. Yeah, exactly. So it's like I'm not sure about all that. It was just very weird. I thought the chicken stuff was funny, like mm-hmm. him like eating the chickens and like and I need like and the chocolate and him needing people. Um, but I thought that was interesting that like the first movie ended with like him and Venom coming up an agreement that they were only going to eat the bad guys, and then this movie kind of starts off with like, um, no, we're not doing that anymore. We have to just eat chickens. Um, but like he still wants to eat the bad guys. Yeah. But other than that, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, I think the dynamic between I'm just I'm personally surprised that all these people came back for this movie, uh, specifically um, the actress who plays Anne, who um, Michelle Williams, I believe her name is. Uh, yes. Yeah, Michelle Williams. I, I mean, not to say that she was beneath it, but she just came off of like she's an you know award winning actress, and um, I oh is she an award winning? She might not be an award winning. Um, did I pass it? Un- unknown if she's award no nominated. Un- she's award- nominated. She's nominated for the Oscar. She yeah, was nominated but- for Manchester by the Sea, My yeah. Week with Marilyn, Blue, ba- Blue Valentine, and Brokeback Mountain. Yes, but she's so, won Emmys for Fosse Verdon. I've never seen that show, but uh, neither have I. Um, but yeah, I just feel like that I was kind of a stretch. To, I, do, I didn't expect you to return for this movie. And she had a decent role in it. She played a, a, a good role. And I think some of the better parts of this movie was when she was like telling Eddie Brock that she was getting married. And like Venom was like you, like the whole thing was like, we got to get back to her. Like you thought that she was going to break up with, with the boyfriend from the first movie, but then they're getting married. And so like they had an interesting dynamic within all that and their relationship with Venom. Um, so I think all that worked. I think it was also funny that the boyfriend, who we had yet to... I think he didn't show up for like an hour in the movie, but he was talked about. And I was like, oh, I guess they couldn't get him back. And then the, he showed up all of a sudden. Yeah. And then and then toward the very end when he was in the final fight scene. Now, this part bothered me. So he was in there. He was in the... Everyone's fighting. Everyone's doing their thing. And and Anne was still in the coffin or the the case or whatever. And not one moment that since her boyfriend soon or fiance soon to be husband was there, did he try to open up the casket to get her out of there? Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe he was too afraid. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, that like that that's the only job you had to do. And then they even made a comment about at the end of the movie where he was like, "And hey, I like you. Thanks for being here. You really didn't serve much of a purpose, but <laughs> thanks for showing up anyway." <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to your point, it was definitely way better. I would see this movie again. I have no reason to watch the first Venom again. Correct. Like, yeah. what would have been nice if they just give us a couple flashbacks from the first one, and then you don't ever have to watch the first one ever again. <laughs> Never again. It was not a good movie. Um, but, but, go ahead. 
No, go ahead, because I, th- uh, I would think we were about to say the same thing. Okay, all right. Like, the main thing that was important about this movie. What, okay, yes. Regardless of how you felt about this movie, yes. the most important thing was that damn end credit scene. Absolutely. Now, we're going gonna to be talking about that a little, uh, it, probably in length, just right now. Um, but yeah, the end credit scene had nothing to do with the movie. And But it's funny, because the end credit scene was the, was the one thing that was getting all of the headlines. Uh, I remember it was like, stay for the end credit scene. Like, you got to watch the end credit scene. Obviously, people are going to stay. But, like, the headlines were not about the movie itself or any spoilers with the movie. It was about the end credit scene. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. Um, and it's the fact that somehow, some way, um, and, I, and I took the quote from it, and it says that um, Venom has... He uh, he has 80 million light years of hive knowledge across universes, uh, and he was telling Eddie Brock that it would explode his tiny mind if he revealed any of that to him. So we got a lot of information with that one little sentence there. One that Venom has connections to all Venom, all symbiotes that are all connected within the hive that all have their own different personalities. That oh, are which is a which is a whole set up in itself i know for a huge comic series comic event that at least for me because it's in i'm reading it now in marvel unlimited um that has a huge connection to that and if they eventually build up to that that would be fucking incredible it's called the king in black it's about the original symbiote and he's on he's like trapped in an off world and how he comes to Earth to absorb all the symbiotes and like just dominate the world. But it like ties in it ties in the fact that all the symbiotes are connected by a hive and that and, and also that the symbiotes when they transfer from person to person, they leave a codex in their spine mm. that, that like they leave a little piece of the symbiote behind in the person. So part of it, um, Carnage becomes like this person who tries to unlock Null, which is the the symbiote god, and he has to go around collecting the codexes, which was what I thought was really interesting in the second movie that you see Venom hopping from person to person to person. Mm-hmm. Now, there may not be. That could just be me because I'm currently reading the storyline. But if they ever build up to that, like that, I was I'm totally here for it. I didn't know any of that. And the fact that the symbiote has connections to a hive mind i did not know any of that either so apparently the movie introduced that there were 80 billion different 80 billion light years of hive knowledge that he has connections to so then he teased that he could have like i'll just give you a sliver of it as he did that and now this is the part that's confusing i don't know if he initiated unlocking something that had it allowed him to go to a different multiverse or a different universe, or it was at the same time that maybe Doctor Strange from the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer was doing his thing and maybe altered the multiverse that way. But however, however, whatever happened, a change happened. He was in the same room, but it was a lot cleaner. And then on the TV screen, we see J. Jonah Jameson looks like talking at a later point about Tom Holland's Peter Parker. And and then Venom goes to the screen and he licks it and he said I forgot what he says after that he's like he's like oh I know him or something along those lines and like then he wants to what, fight Spider like he wants to fight Spider Man Spider Man right which is and like then, a big which is like a big thing because in the very beginning of their relationship like Venom just wanted to kill Spider Man mm-hmm. 
And so with, and that's how, that's how the end credits ends. And so with all of that now, can we assume that Venom is now going to be in Spider-Man No Way Home? Mm, it's fair. It's possible, but I don't – I wouldn't – I don't know. Well, they almost have to be because I saw Tom Holland post something on, on his Instagram or, or in an interview or something to just to the effect that Spider-Man, this next Spider-Man movie is very much like a – like a chapter ending like this is very much an end like this is this is the trilogy like this is yes. the end this is the end of spider-man with the mcu so maybe what happens is that he t- he goes with venom and they go over into their unit he goes back with venom to his universe or venom takes him takes him back yeah i, I did read the same thing he did say that like this is the end of the homecoming trilogy Maybe not. I mean, because I think the multiverse, at least into the introduction of it, is a good way to kind of uh, story wise to get him out of this Marvel MCU stuff and have him doing on his own adventures. And he did also say that it will be a different feel if we were to make more movies. So that's sad to hear because I love this iteration of Spider-Man. Uh, but all that being said, I, it, it's it's it's. Really confusing if Venom is in Spider-Man No Way Home, and if he is, I don't like that. Yeah, I don't want him to be uh, a f- any at any point a focal point because there's already a lot happening. What I yes. wouldn't mind is that either a mid-credit, maybe even a, maybe the mid-credit. I don't know. Either the mid-credit or the post-credit, where he takes him. And he he maybe since he wants to fight him he snatches him and he s- takes him back to his universe and that's that's our connection to get him to go back over to the Sony universe. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I I totally agree with you. I think this movie's already stuffed. We have a lot that they're trying to do with Spider-Man No Way Home, and it feels like you know kind of the problem with Spider-Man Three was that they try to cram in too many villains. That was a yeah. big problem with Spider-Man 3 because you had Sandman, you had Hobgoblin, you have to- uh, Topher Grace's Venom, Venom, and they did too much there that it the reason why it didn't do as well as the first two with a focus on one villain. Now, Spider-Man No Way Home and uh, and Spider-Man – I'm sorry, Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man uh, Far From Home both kind of focused on one villain. You had Vulture and Mysterio – with also teasing other things. And I'm not saying that you can't have more than one villain in a movie. Obviously, we're going to be seeing that in Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, and we've seen it in multiple other movies as well. But there is a point where now you're asking the audience to like, hey, have you seen Venom? Don't worry about it. This is Tom Hardy as Venom, and he's going to be a part of this movie now. And I was like, yeah. But you, that's could, not- but you could say the same thing about us watching that credit scene. What if somebody just likes Venom, but they don't watch Spider-Man? Right. So no, like, I, is, I like, agree. What the hell is it? Like, who's that? Like, or not like who's that? But like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, oh, I haven't watched those movies. <laughs> yeah. But you make a good point. Like, it, it, it feels like it's they're shoehorning this in here. Um, and without more knowledge, it's hard to see if it was like if this is the move to make. Well, the problem is, is that it needs to happen because Spider-Man and Venom, the whole Spider-Man and Venom dynamic 
is one of the like it, there's so many great storylines that are told just from them even their mm-hmm. feud together spider-man obviously when we we kind of saw a version of it in spider-man 3 when yeah. spider-man gets infected by the black symbiote and he wears a black suit like that's a big that's a really huge comic book storyline that's a huge i'm sorry story arc for spider-man so spider-man and venom need it needs to happen they need to they need to get together with that being said, if if they're no longer going to be after this movie, if they're no longer going to be officially tied directly to the MCU, if we see another Venom movie or a Spider-Man movie, you, you we've already said it right here in this episode that our feelings for Venom 1 was not great and we kind of felt like the second one was just okay. Like it was it was way better than the first one, but it wasn't like a masterpiece of filmmaking nor was it a you know it was a good movie i wouldn't call it a great fantastic movie it was just good so do you feel like if we bring in spider-man into venom that it will lessen the character of spider-man and kind of almost ruin the three movies that we got prior no because they're these 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 mc movie mcu movies are going to be their they're going to be their own thing like they're like they're they're within the MCU. They're they're story ending. You get his whole arc, and if you want to continue following Spider-Man, you follow him to his own little pocket, his own Sony universe. But and, but I don't think it'll be Venom taking on Spider-Man. I think it's Spider-Man taking on Venom. And with them, I see very much uh, Thor Ragnarok dynamic eventually. Okay, okay. So do you feel like that if they were make a Spider-Man four? It seems likely that it would be Spider-Man versus Venom, and we probably would have had two to three movies of Venom to lead up to this fight with Spider-Man that probably the fans will want to see. It'll make a shit ton of money. Uh, but is it is that where you want the direction to go after this next movie? But my one but on that is okay. I would like Venom to somehow stay in this universe because that means that Cletus. Cassidy is somewhere in this universe. There, so Carnage is—he's there somewhere, right? Yes. So what if Eddie Brock gets arrested, and they? Because in the comic books, what happens is they share a jail cell, and that's how he get, and that's how he obtains the symbiote from Venom. Yeah, uh, Carnage. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's. Yeah, so yeah. what if they? What if he goes to jail, and then he meets Cletus Cassidy in jail, and Reef, and then gives him the symbiote again. Yeah, and, and that was another part that I felt that was like a missed opportunity because, yes, as far as the stories was, you know, Venom eating Carnage and then um, Venom also killing uh, Cletus Cassidy. Um, and then it was just ending Woody, Woody Harrelson's character. And I thought that, well, he could have moved on to the next movie. I don't think he had to kill him right then and there. I didn't expect him to die in within this film. That's what I to mean. Your point, it's it's yeah. an underutilization of a really of a very iconic Marvel villain. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, this could be an opportunity for them to, like, re... It just sucks that they have to recast, because I did like Woody Harrelson in that role. Why would they... Re- Hopefully, I would want him to come back. I don't want them to recast him. Oh, so it would just be a different... Wouldn't yeah. that be confusing? No, because it's, no? An al- it's an alternate universe. Okay. So it's the, it's the same person. You just... that It's that person living in the universe. So but I guess so that like, means I guess that means that there would be an Eddie Brock in that MCU as well. Yeah, which can also again, if we, I I think it's funny that we haven't seen a Venom in the MCU, and I'll be very 
hilarious to think of Topher Grace kind of sitting there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Which I think it would be fun to see Topher Grace in, in come back for this. He won't. Like, I'm not opposed to that. Yeah, I know he won't, but it would be fun. Well, he died. I mean, he technically died in the end of Spider-Man 3. Or we assume. I mean, assumed. So, so did Doc Ock and so did Green Goblin, but guess who's back? <clears throat> okay, that's fair. That's true. Um, but yeah, I think I think needless to say that like the ending of Venom drew a lot of questions, a lot of speculations on what the future is going to hold, and I hope a lot of answers come in December when we see Spider-Man No Way Home, and that is for me the biggest movie of the year. Like we are, I can't wait to see that movie. It's going to be my my expectations. It's like I'm setting myself up for failure, but it's so high. It is so high. Like I am <laughs> pumped for that. For that film and the fact that like the idea of the multiverse and now obviously now maybe Venom's in play into all this is like as much as I don't want to see Venom in this and like, all right, well, what if you did I'm like, all right, I want to see what you got here. Or I, I honestly, I think you're right. Like he might be served better as an end credit scene rather than a main player in this movie. Yeah. Like they gave us a setup. OK, <clears throat> so we know that he's there somewhere. They, right. But and they already have. I just. It would be very dumb of the MCU. This is a huge film for them that they are yes. market and they are marketing the shit out of this movie. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So I I don't with Venom underperforming, especially the first one. The second one doing okay. I don't see them putting the all the eggs of Spider Man No Way Home in Venom. I just neither do I. Just, I. I just like maybe a very small aspect of it as a post credit scene, but. I just I'll be very disappointed if it becomes Spider-Man 3 all over again. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Like I feel like and the fact that I feel like Tom Holland even hyped it up even more saying that this is like the end of the Homecoming trilogy. Exactly. So that now we're going to see like now we're going to see like this feel like an ending cuz now I wasn't even thinking about this cuz I'm like, "Oh my god, this is like end game now." All right, so this now I'm prepping for these for an ending of sorts, you know. This is Spider-Man's end game. This is kinda. exactly, yeah, yeah kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is. Especially if if Tom Holland and Tobey Maguire are involved, then fuck yeah, it's an end game, you know. So yeah, so it's, it's very interesting to see how Spider-Man's being dealt with nowadays and how Venom kind of plays into all this. But more answers will be will be had come December. That's that's kind of what we're looking forward to. Uh, and Arisa, anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? Um, no, I just I would like to see. Woody Harrelson come back or I mean I guess if they wanted to redo him as some maybe like a younger version of him in Mm -hmm. the MCU uh, I don't see it I guess it all depends on what happens with Spider-Man yeah pretty much that's kind of what we're kind of waiting on at this point uh but yeah I I uh I thought Venom Let There Be Carnage was was good um I think Venom I, I think it was way better than the first film. I do think, uh, uh, on a side note, I do think that Venom, how he looks, was fine. But, like, he was like he was too light red. Like, I wanted him to be a darker red. Like, nah, that, yeah, I was, no? it was fine for me. It was? Yeah, okay. He's just, I mean, he's, like, bright. In the comics, he's bright, bright red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just felt like they, they, they could have put a little bit more paint on him. That's all I'm saying. It's like, <laughs> that's, I mean, because he looked like, I was, like, I was, like, a little bit underwhelmed by like his color maybe because i've always seen him in the dark red i'm always like expecting it but like like okay all right a little bit light red that's fine that's fine that's fine okay 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 that's fine um but anyway yeah i thought it was a good movie way better than the first film um but with the ending like that it really you know 
really draws a lot of questions on what's going to be moving forward. So if anything like that, it did – this movie, if it did anything, was keep our interest in Venom. And what what the movie yeah. what the future is going to be like for him, uh, with an already like lukewarm uh, series to go. And I mean, I'm really interested in this director too, because I mean, he's done John Watts has done he did Homecoming, he did Far From mm-hmm. Home, and No Way Home, and then this is kind of get this is going to give us a an idea of what Fantastic Four is going to be like. Yeah, and I mean, who knows like if the next Venom movie. Or the next Spider-Man movies are going to be with a different director, or Vandy Circus is going to take a stab at it. Who knows? Um, but yeah, there's a lot of questions to be asked, but our interests are still there. Uh, but anyway, it's a Marvel property, so whatever they put out, we're going to be watching it. Exactly. Um, so there you go. That's our spoiler review on Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And man, Ernesto, did we give we gave a show today. We, had, this was, we, we talked about a lot. We talked about a lot of things. We talked about a lot of things. Um, if you want more from us, uh, you can always hit us up on our social media channels at, at um, on Instagram, at box office underscore bingers, on Facebook and TikTok at box office bingers. Next week, we are like, like, I felt like Venom was like horror adjacent. Not really. It's like a dark comedy, but like a little bit dark. Um, but we're keeping that thread. Last week we did Candyman. Next week we will reviewing we will be reviewing uh, Halloween Kills, the next installment in the Michael Myers franchise. I, I'm looking forward to watching this one. It looks oh, interesting. As am I. As yeah, as like I. I did like the the reboot that came out three years ago, and so like I'm not like 100% thrilled on it but it has my interest. I did like how the how the the other one the other one kind of panned out. And so I I'm here for it. And and like and like uh Estevan, I'm sorry. Like Ernesto teased earlier we're bringing back Estevan and we're going to be talking about DC fandom. We're going to be t- and he loves horror. He loves Halloween. I know that for sure. Oh definitely. And, oh yeah. So like he's pumped to review Halloween Kills. Um so yeah, we have more fun next week like this week was jam-packed and guess what next week is just the same we have so much show we got to talk to you about i mean we come here every week to talk about this. so much show so little time exactly uh we like to thank everybody for tuning in every week to joining us as we talk about movies come back next week the fun's going to continue there um uh, then for that i've been your host matt diaz and ernesto santos see ya